right. This is Commission President Sam Cho convening the regular meeting of March 28, 2023. The time is 10.30 a.m. We're meeting in person today at the Seattle Tacoma International Airport Conference Center and virtually ver via Microsoft Teams. Present with me today are Commissioners Calkins, Fallon, Hazagawa, and Mohammed, who are currently gathered in the executive session room awaiting the opening of the public meeting. Commissioner Mohammed is recused from participating in a portion of the session today. We'll now recess into the executive session to discuss two items regarding litigation and or potential litigation or legal risk per RCW 42.30.110 sub 1 sub I. We will be in executive, executive session for approximately 35 minutes and we will reconvene into public session at 12 p.m. noon. Thank you very much. Thank you. We are in recess. All right, this is Commission President Sam Cho reconvening the regular meeting of March 28, 2023. The time is 12.05 p.m. We're meeting in person today at Seattle Tacoma International Airport Conference Center and virtually via Microsoft Teams. Clerk Hart, please call the roll of all commissioners in attendance. Thank you, beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellerman. Present. Thank you, Commissioner Hasegawa. Present. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Present. Thank you. And Commissioner Cho. Present. Thank you. We do have a full commission here today. Excellent. Thank you very much. A, house, a few housekeeping items before we begin. For everyone in the meeting room, please turn your cell phones to silent. For anyone participating on Microsoft Teams, please mute your speakers when not actively speaking or presenting. Please keep your cameras off unless you're a member of the commission or executive director participating virtually, or you're a member of staff in, pre in a presentation or are actively addressing the commission. Members of the public addressing the commission during public comment may turn on their cameras when their name is called to speak, and will turn them back off at the conclusion of their remarks. For anyone at the dais here today, turn, uh, please turn off the speakers on any computers and silence your devices. Please also remember to address your request to be recognized to speak through the chair and to wait to speak until you have been recognized. You'll, you'll turn your microphones on and off as needed. All the items noted here will ensure a smoother meeting and I thank you in advance. All votes today will be taken by the roll call method so it is clear for anyone participating virtually how votes are cast. Commissioners will say aye or nay when their name is called. We are meeting on the ancestral lands and waters of the Coast Salish people with whom we share a commitment to steward these natural resources for future generations. This, this meeting is being digitally recorded. It may be viewed or heard at any time on the Port's website and may be rebroadcast by King County Television. Please stand or join us for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, so we will uh, go on to the first item of the agenda, which is item three. The first item of business is approval of the agenda. As a reminder, if a commissioner wishes to comment for or against an item on the consent agenda, it is not necessary to pull the item for, from the consent agenda. Rather, a commissioner may offer supporting or opposing comments once the motion to approve the consent agenda is on the floor and before the vote is taken. However, if a commissioner wants to ask questions of staff or wishes to have a dialogue on a con consent agenda item, it is appropriate to request the item to be pulled for separate discussion. 
Are there item, any items to be pulled from the consent agenda or any motions to rearrange the order of the day? Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you, President Cho. I would like to pull item 8C for questions. Great, thank you for that. Commissioners, the question is now on the, yeah, yeah Commissioner Bellman. <laughs> I'd like to get some uh, clarification on, clarity on item 8B. B as in boy. Okay, so 8B. Okay, so both 8B and 8C have been pulled from the consent agenda. The question is now on approval of the agenda. Is there a motion to approve the agenda as amended? So moved. Second. Great. The motion has been made and seconded. Is there an objection to approval of the agenda as amended? Hearing none, the agenda is approved or uh, as amended. Next on our agenda is the Executive Director's Report. Executive Director Metric, you have the floor. Commissioners, uh, good afternoon. Greetings from Washington, D.C. Well, right now it's warm and partly cloudy and the cherry blossoms are at their peak. I'm in Washington this week for the Legislative Summit for the American Association of Port Authorities and other key meetings to advance our priorities. I'm participating in this commission meeting virtually, but Deputy Executive Director Dave Soike is ready to step in if there are any technical difficulties on my behalf. I'd like to begin my remarks by acknowledging several major religious observances taking place this spring. We are about one week into the Islamic holy month of Ramadan, a time dedicated to fasting, prayer, reflection, and community. As I mentioned to the port staff before, please feel free to reach out to your Muslim colleagues, neighbors, and friends to say Ramadan Mubarak. Keep, keeping in mind as they go through this month of not eating and drinking from sunrise to sunset and perhaps having less energy than usual. I'm sure they'll appreciate your support. Next Wednesday, April 5th, is the start of the Passover holiday. I hope that our Jewish employees and friends can gather together with family and friends to observe the wonderful traditions of the ritual meal known as the Passover Seder. The, the story of Passover is not about throwing off, is, is about throwing off the yoke of oppression and undertaking a long journey, both physically and spiritually, toward freedom. The tradition of the Passover Seder is to each year to tell the story of the Jews bringing being slaves and then escaping, to ensure that this history is neither forgotten nor repeated. Finally, for Christians, the 40-day period of fasting, repentance, moderation, and spiritual discipline called Lent culminates in Holy Week and with Easter Sunday on April 9th, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus three days after his death by crucifixion. As the port strives to become a more diverse and equitable organization, we will also work to be more, more inclusive and recognize the importance of honoring and acknowledging these appearances among many others. An additional event I'd like to acknowledge is our annual Women Outstanding Achievement Awards, which will be held tomorrow, March 29th at 11.30 a.m. in the Pier 69 atrium. I'm unable to join for this event, but I'd like to extend my congratulations in advance to all the nominees and awardees, and for the work of the Women's Initiative Network, or WIN-ERG, in putting this all together. As a reminder, this is one of the several wonderful ways that the Port is acknowledging Women's History Month including some great online content about women leaders at the port. Looking ahead to April 6th, I would like everyone to know about the upcoming panel discussion on emerging 
decarbonization strategies by cruise lines and ports, and how we can partner to accelerate our groundbreaking Cruise Green Corridor initiative. The webinar will take place from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. on April 6. Over in the aviation line of business, we are hard at work advancing our efforts to upgrade SEA. These efforts in part contributed to StarTrack's naming Seattle-Tacoma International Airport as the best airport in North America for the second year in a row. A combination of new facilities, added amenities, customer service enhancements, and innovative programs like SpotSaver can help exemplify the best-in-class service travelers can expect when traveling through our gateway. Congratulations to the entire aviation team and the many other teams that support them across the port for this achievement. Lastly, today's commission meeting is notable since it is the last commission meeting where we will use the current delegation of authority. The new delegation levels go into effect later this month, although there will be regular reports on those items that I approve. A small but mighty team of cross-port, multi-department staff have been working hard over the last few months to build a tool that both increases efficiency for port staff and means transparency for the public. I would like to thank the commission for your trust in the team to deliver on our mission at this new delegated level. I'd also like to thank Deputy Executive Director Dave Soike and Commission Clerk Michelle Hart for their leadership on this body of work. I look forward to sharing more as the team finishes testing this new tool and in in as it's implemented. Moving to today's commission meeting, I'd like to highlight a few items. First, it seems that it is infrastructure work Infrastructure Week here at the Port and here at the Commission. We have before you today several authorizations related to maintaining and refreshing critical infrastructure, from securing long lead time electrical equipment for our Maritime Industrial Center, increasing power at the North Apron of Pier 69 to enable future shore power capabilities, to wrapping up and replacing steel piles at Pier 66. These actions on the consent agenda might not generate any major headlines, but they are critical to maintaining our critical gateways, advancing our priorities, and and delivering on our missions. Second, I'm looking forward to robust discussion on two equity-related actions, the feasibility for the international, international public market and the first reading of the equity policy directive. These items are two great examples of our ongoing commitment to becoming a model for equity, diversity, and inclusion. Commissioners, this concludes my remarks. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. I uh, hope you have a fruitful trip to Washington, D.C., and we look forward to seeing you back in Seattle. We are now moving on to committee reports. Erica Chung, Commission Strategic Advisor, will provide the report. Erica? Uh, good afternoon, President Cho and Commissioners. I have five committee reports for you today. On March 20th, Commissioners Fellman and Calkins convened the Waterfront Industrial Lands Committee. During the meeting, they received an update on the City of Seattle's industrial land zoning and provided direction to staff. On March 21st, Commissioners Calkins and Mohammed met as members of the Aviation Committee, where they received updates on ways the port is encouraging employees and travelers to take more environmentally sustainable modes of transportation included in our Grand Transportation Access Plan. Topics included a Transportation Management Association, the results of a mode choice modeling study and other active transportation options the port is considering. On March 21st, Commissioners Hasegawa and Fellman convened the Sustainability, Environment and Climate Committee where they were briefed on two topics related to crews and tools the port has to 
the tools the port has to influence its business partners to reduce their environmental impacts. The first item was on cruise memorandum of understanding. Staff are currently in discussion with individual cruise lines and Washington Department of Ecology on re-signing the agreement. And as in the past, the port will be a party to the long-standing agreement that includes requirements for water quality protections that exceed current regulations, along with provisions for an annual public meeting to provide transparency and accountability. The second item before the committee was the cruise preferential berthing agreement and leases. The committee was briefed on the port's overall strategy for agreement and lease negotiation with cruise partners, potential environmental terms and consideration, and progress to date. Commissioners shared the importance of shore power use while cruise ships are at berth and encouraged staff to consider incentivizing cruise lines partners to further advance sustainability outcomes. On March 22nd, Commissioners Hasegawa and Calkins convened the Equity and Workforce Development Committee. Commissioners received the staff proposed definition of equity-related resources in the port's budget. This work is called for in the yet-to-be-passed Equity Policy Directive. Commissioners also received a sneak peek of a dashboard displaying data that staff created after, after combing through the port's recent budgets and finding items that could fall under the proposed definition. Commissioners gave feedback that the definition and criteria for equity-related resources should explicitly include a broad range of marginalized groups. Regarding the data on past equity spending, Commissioner Hasegawa requested that this data be disaggregated by impacted groups to the extent possible. Commissioner Calkins also asked that any capital equity spending be separated out from the other equity spending to remove some volatility from year-to-year -year spending comparisons. On March 22nd, Community Co-Chair Des Moines Mayor Matt Mahoney chaired the Highline Forum with Commissioner Fred Fallerman in attendance. Arif Gao, SEA's new Chief Operating Officer, provided a comprehensive update on Update SEA and noted SEA received an award from SeaTrax as the best airport in North America for 2022 and 2023. Violeta Vega, Program Manager for Businesses Ending Slavery and Trafficking Alliance, presented on how to identify human trafficking and steps that can be taken to stop or prevent it. With Aviation Director um, Lance Little Traveling, Claire Gallagher provided the update on START, including the FAA's Neighboring Environmental Survey, the work of the Aviation Noise and Federal Policy Working Group. This concludes my report. Thank you. Thank you, Erica. Appreciate the readout. Um, are there any questions or, uh, regarding committees? If so, please indicate if you would like to speak. Yeah, Commissioner Feldman. Uh, this is regarding the Aviation Committee's discussion of TMAs. We've been talking about this for years, and I was just wondering, are we, where are we at with that process? Uh, as you know, Commissioner, uh, this is uh, Aaron Pritchard, Commission Chief of Staff. Uh, as you know, we recently hired in this uh, fall uh, some, a, a FTE here at the airport to manage the Transportation Management Association. Uh, I would say that they are, in, they are beginning to organize the uh, folks that are part, part of the TMA, which is both us, the cities outside and our employees here. So I think there is more to come, uh, and we hope that they can proceed um, with haste to get into that, some of those solutions. I don't know if commissioners have any other comments on what they heard. Calkins. Yeah, I, I'm happy to share uh, kind of perspectives on the 
committee discussion, I think there's a recognition that um, we have uh, a unique opportunity in a couple of key employers at the airport to uh, request their um, enthusiasm for the program as well, um, because with just a couple of them, we could get more than a majority and really advance the work. And there's also a moment right now uh, to um, really uh, ask them to, to put, uh, you know, resources behind their words that um, both have made very positive public statements about a desire to advance uh, environmental and environmental justice initiatives in their own operations, and this would be a great way to do it. And uh, as we communicated that to staff, um, at the same time, we're, uh, we recognize that there are unique challenges to our, you know, a TMA for an airport is quite different than one for, say, University of Washington, which is a similar amount of employees. And so uh, part of the... Um, what's taking time on this is making sure that the idiosyncrasies of our unique commuter environment and, and passenger flow environment is going to require unique solutions too. Yep. So this is focused right now on the employees though, right? It's not the public, right? So if we get two big employers, then we have a significant amount of this component of this part of the problem, but we will still then be looking to do a transportation management for the public? The TMA is specifically for employees. The ground transportation access plan contemplates uh, the modes that passengers and employees use. And so for the for passengers, we're not referring it. Uh, the, that's not part of the TMA work plan. But, it's, it's but there, yeah, there are a number of initiatives geared specifically for mode shift for passengers away from the least sustainable, most congestion-producing, most expensive toward things like light rail. Both are under the Aviation Committee's current work plan. Correct. The GTAP uh, is on our work plan, yeah. Great. Thank you very much. Seeing no other questions, we'll move on to the next part of the agenda, which is public comment. Thank you, Erica. We are now at the public comment section of our agenda. The Port Commission welcomes public comment as an important part of the public process. Comments are received and considered by the Commission in its deliberations. Before we take public comment, I want to review our rules for in-person and virtual public comment. Each commentator will have two minutes to speak and should stay within the allotted time. A timer will appear on the screen and the buzzer will sound at the end of the two-minute period for each speaker. You must limit remarks to topics related to the conduct report business. These rules apply to introductory and concluding remarks. All remarks should be addressed to the Commission as a body, not to any individual Commissioner. Disruptions of Commission public meetings are prohibited. Disruptions include, but are not limited to the following. Refusal of a speaker to limit remarks to topics related to the conduct of report business. Threats and abusive or harassing behavior and language. Obscene language and gestures. Refusal of a speaker to comply with the allotted time set for the individual speaker's public comment. Leaving the podium or testimony table to physically approach commissioners or, or staff during one's public comment. Provided speakers may offer written materials to the Commission Clerk and any behavior that disrupts, disturbs, or otherwise impedes the meeting. Any disruption will result in a speaker's microphone being immediately shut off and a warning or loss of speaking privileges or removal from the meeting, as provided in the Commission's bylaws. Written materials provided to the Clerk will be included in today's speaking record, a meeting record. The Clerk has a list of those prepared to speak. We are now, oh, sorry. Um, 
We are taking comments from anyone who has signed up to speak virtually as well as anyone who has joined us in the chambers. When I call your name, if you are joining virtually, please unmute yourself, then repeat yourself with your name for the record and state your topic related to the conduct of port business. If you're on the Teams meeting and at the same time streaming the meeting on the website, please mute the website stream to avoid feedback. If you are speaking from the room, please come to the testimony table, repeat your name for the record, and state your topic related to the conduct of port business. I will be alternating between public comment in person and virtually. Our first speaker in person is going to be Jermaine Murray. Is your mic on? Jermaine Murray, and the topic is going to be on the uh, Equity Policy Directive. Good afternoon, uh, Executive Director Metric and Commissioners. I am Jermaine Murray, Director of Port Construction Services here at the Port of Seattle. I'm here to share my support of the Equity Policy Directive. Nearly four years ago, the Port of Seattle became the very first port authority in the country to establish an Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. The Office of Equity, Diversi Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion is critical, mandatory, and a necessary component in creating an equitable workplace. That was a signal that the port is walking the walk, talking the talk, and putting its money where its mouth is. Since then, OEDI has worked with departments and employees across the organization, promoting and encouraging sustainable systemic change in our policies and practices. In 2020, I lost my mother to breast cancer, and shortly thereafter, the brutal killings of George Floyd. As a black man, I began to openly speaking across the organization, talking about challenges, struggles, and conditional thoughts that I, have in, <clears throat> that I have encountered in my life. Now as director, I have turned my pain and loss into positive disruption, strategic thinking, and vulnerability. This policy directive is a huge step in the right direction. It gives hope, strength, and guidance to our organization as we move forward with this challenging but necessary work. However, it will not solve everything. The Equity Policy Directive provides an opportunity to hold employees accountable. Today I am humbled and excited to, to be part of the change and movement. And I am glad to work for an organization where I am empowered to show up as my authentic self. And I encourage you to as well. And remember this, we are much stronger together. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jermaine. Really appreciate uh, your testimony and your being here today. Um, our next speaker is virtual, Peggy Prince. Peggy, can you hear me? Yes. Peg I Perfect. Peggy, if you could just state your full name and your topic, yes. and then the clock will start when you start. All right. I'm Peggy Prince, and I'm addressing the harms of cruise. You are probably aware of the latest alarming warning by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Those experts portray a rapidly closing window of opportunity 
to secure a livable and sustainable future for life on this planet. What we do in this decade will largely determine our fate and that of our fellow creatures, growing things, and surroundings. You can play an important role in protecting a livable climate. You can halt further expansion of ocean cruising and immediately start phasing out cruise traffic in the Salish Sea and beyond. You know why this is crucial. You are aware of the megaship's outsized contribution to our area's greenhouse gas emissions, as well as their other harms. For example, one cruise ship berthed at Pier 66 produces more sulfur dioxide than nearly 35,000 semi-trucks idling on Alaskan Way. Please respond to the global threat with responsible local action. Thank you. Thank you, Peggy. We will move on to our next in-person speaker, who is Thomas Whitaker. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Delmas Whitaker, uh, and I'll be speaking on the equity uh, directive. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners, uh, executive director metric, port family, and guests. My name is Delmas Whitaker. I'm the director of marine maintenance, uh, and I'm proud to say I've been uh, part of the port for nearly 15 years. Since the port uh, of Seattle Commission adopted order number 2018-6 uh, on May 8th of 2018, our efforts towards equity, diversity, and inclusion continue to rise to the occasion. As a past president of Blacks in Government, uh, a chapter here at the Port of Seattle, seeing the evolution of the equity strategy and its coming to life has been extremely impressive and needed. Uh, in the in the words uh, in the words in the directive that are coupled with actions also reinforce our commitment to build on the effort that seems that at one point seemed out of reach. Notably for me, our work with equity and budgeting by integrating and uh, an equity lens into the budgeting process and decision making with a particular focus on racial equities inequities uh, was extremely important. And this initiative has opened doors and built pathways and partnerships and opportunities that were previously undiscovered. In closing, I want to take this opportunity to express my appreciation and thanks to our Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, and you in this chamber for taking that effort. Uh, this, the, our OEDI team, for, I'd like to make sure they're recognized for their tireless efforts and commitments to uh, the social, uh, challenging the social norms and paving a path of progress. And lastly, it would go without saying uh, that I would like to thank every employee who has participated in roundtables, panels, MS team meetings to contribute to this directive uh, that's before the body today. Uh, so I strongly encourage adopting this equity policy directive. So thank you. Thank you, Delmas. Our next virtual speaker is Peter Kishuru. Peter, can you hear me? Peter, are you there? Yes, I can hear you. Oh, excellent. If you could state your full name for the record and the topic that you'll be speaking to, and then the clock will start when you start. Okay, good afternoon, commissioners. I am calling uh, to talk about supporting equity policy directive. My name is Peter Gishuru. 
I am with African Chamber of Commerce. It's a 24-year-old organization which, among many things, work to build and strengthen business capacity for African immigrants. I came to Sierra way back in 1963. I've seen many changes as related to equity, diversity, inclusion, but we still got a long way to go. Do you know in 1967, when I was a sophomore at Sierra University, I could not rent an apartment in Capitol Hill. We got through a lot of changes, and I believe we have a long way to go. That's why I support the Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, and I encourage you as commissioners to approve it initiative. It is going to go a long way in supporting my community, the African immigrants, which is one of the largest communities, which is one of the fastest with fastest growing community in uh, King County. Also, when you look around SeaTac, Taquira, West Seattle, Georgetown, it's a strong community of African immigrants who wants to be just like everybody else, be able to support their families. And as I said, I want to say thank you to the Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. I've been working with the port for the last 10 years as we work to build and strengthen and especially guide the African community. I thank you. Thank you, Peter. Our next speaker is going to be in person, Wendy Ryder. Thank you very much. I'm Wendy Ryder. I'm the Director of Security and Emergency Preparedness here at the airport. Good afternoon, Director Metric and Commissioners. My name is Wendy Ryder. I'm the Director of Security and Emergency Preparedness. Most of us are aware that March 31st is recognized as Cesar Chavez Day in recognition of his contributions to grassroots organizing in the effort to fight economic and racial discrimination. It's also Women's History Month, an opportunity to reflect on the contributions of women like Rosa Parks, a name we all know, and Patsy Mink, a name maybe we don't, first woman of color elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. I think it's appropriate to reflect on these legacies while thinking about our mission at the port, which includes partnering with surrounding communities and promoting social responsibility while creating opportunity for all. I'm grateful to work in an environment where I see every day our efforts to ex exercise equity, to embrace diversity, and to be inclusive. I'm especially grateful to work for, with and for our o OEDI team, supporting our efforts as we create that opportunity through our budgeting de decisions, through recruitment efforts, and our employee engagement initiatives. It illustrates that our mission isn't just words on a page, 
but we are, as an organization, committed to the value everyone brings, committed to learning that every individual believes, every individual has a voice, and to me, that's the spirit of equity, diversity, and inclusion. Respecting the life experience that each individual that we can learn from and experience from. I am honored and proud to support the Equity Policy Directive. Thank you. Thank you so much, Wendy. Our next speaker is virtual. Actually, the remaining speakers are virtu virtual. Um, Iris Antman. Iris, can you hear me? Iris? Yes, I can. Excellent. If you could state your full name yes, and your topic, and then you can get started, and we'll start the clock. Very good. My name's Iris Antman, and I'm speaking about the harms of cruise. And, and I want to echo uh, Peggy's words about uh, from the IPCC report uh, that was put out a, a few weeks ago, that there's a rapidly closing window of opportunity to secure a livable and sustainable future for all. The choices and actions implemented in this decade will have impacts now and for thousands of years. And I, I really want you to take this in because this is real information that we have to use now. Um, a Cambridge University economist uh, named Partha Dasgupta said in a New York Times article this morning that unless we assess the economic costs of how we use, dare I say, plunder planetary resources, and not just the value of economic growth in terms of revenue and jobs, we're denying the reality of how we're functioning and where we're headed. As court commissioners, you have a small yet important part to play in affecting our part of this global puzzle. You know the harms of cruise. If you took the time to cost these out, you would see that from a purely economic view, they outweigh the benefits. And that's without considering the ethical and moral implications of destroying our world and contributing to untold suffering. It's time to limit, decrease, and end the cruise business in Seattle and develop truly sustainable and life-affirming work, businesses, and communities. This, rather than growing the mega-harmful cruise business, is your job. And, and you know, it's, it's so wonderful to hear folks talking about the, um, the, the DEI work that the port is doing. You know, the port does some beautiful work. But there's a, 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 an immense short-sightedness in thinking, in thinking that, in thinking that there's still a road to uh, to the cruise business being sustainable in any way. It will never be. Okay, thank you, Iris. You're actually out of time, but we appreciate your thoughts. All right, we're going to move on to the next speaker, uh, Donna McBain Evans. Yes. Hi, Good Donna. Afternoon, everyone. If you could Hi. state your full name for the record, as well as the topic you'll be speaking on, and we'll get the timer started when you start testifying. Okay. Uh, my name is Donna McBain Evans, and I'm representing Downtown Greenways Coalition. 
And I'm here today to comment on the Alaska Way PBL that DOT is uh, designing at the current moment as part of the Waterfront Seattle project. The current plans for the bike trail along the popular Alaskan Way has a double street crossing within five short blocks alongside the Port of Seattle Cruise Terminal at Pier 66. This is between Virginia and Wall Street. This design will largely degrade the biking experience for locals and tourists alike and create confusion and safety conflicts between freight, passengers, and others enjoying the waterfront. This is a key re regional transportation and recreation route for people walking, biking, scooting, rolling, and running. And just a couple blocks north of your Elliott Bay Trail exists and they see over 1 million pedestrian and bike trips per year, according to data by SDOT. This comes out to be about 3,000 trips a day. The trail is vital for bike connections north to Inner Bay, Queen Anne, and the Burt Gilman tra Trail, as well as south to the ferry terminal, stadiums, and West Seattle. And this popularity is going to explode once the new waterfront promenade opens. We are here to ask the port to support a continuous bike trail from Virginia Street to Broad Street, connecting the new park promenade to the Elliott Bay Trail and enabling a key investment in the region's carbon-free transportation network. Two street crossings for the path is confusing and it makes it an unsafe trail and goes counter to our city's Vision Zero goals. If conflict on cruise days is a major concern, it should be mitigated by a temporary detour during peak cruise ship boarding times from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Donna. Appreciate your thoughts. We're going to move on to the next speaker, Samith Mel. Samith, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Thank you. All right, Samith, so if you I'll could... Yeah, if you could uh, okay. state your full name for the record as well as the topic. Samit Mill, uh, commenting on the Seattle Equity Policy Directive Resolution. Um, good afternoon, Commission President and respected commissioners. My name is Samit Mill, and I work at the Equity and Education Coalition as the Director of Partners in Change Program. I'm here today to provide support for the Port of Seattle Equity Policy Directive Resolution. Throughout previous years and the present, I have seen how integral the Port's Office of Equity work has been for community and for internal equity work at the Port. This directive can help to solidify and provide long-term solutions in place at the Port so that the Port can realize the vision and commitment towards sustainable systems change. As a community member, it is important that resolutions such as this move forward and provide space and guidance so that voices and lived experiences can continue to help shape the policies and work of the port around equity. I urge you to support and adopt this resolution, and we will continue to look forward to all the work we must do together with community, industry, and the commission. Thank you for your time and happy my Lao and Tati years. Thank you, Samit. Appreciate you. Uh, last speaker for today is Hayward Evans. Hayward, if you could speak, uh, say your full name for the record and the topic. Hayward, can you hear me? 
Hayward? I understand that he did not check in, although okay. his name is on the list. Okay, all right. Um, in that case, we will... Uh, that was the last person on the list, and that concludes our sign-ups for today. Is there anyone else present on the team's call or present in the room today who didn't... Is that you, Hayward? Uh, yes, sir. Hayward, if you're, if you're streaming this meeting as well as on the phone, you need to turn the the volume off on the stream. Want to try again? We're not hearing you. Ask one more time. Hayward, are you with us? All right, well. Mr. Commission President, we can certainly encourage him to submit some written comments. Yeah, Hayward, if you are unable to, to chime in now, you're welcome to submit your remarks uh, written in written form to the clerk, and we'll make sure it's part of the record. I'm going to give it another five seconds. All right. Uh, is there anyone else in the room or on the team's call that would like to speak or would just address the commission? All right. Spe seeing none, at this time I'll ask the clerk to please give a synopsis of any written comments received. Thank you, Mr. Commission President. Mr. Commission President, members of the commission, Mr. Executive Director, we have received three written comments for today's meeting. These have been distributed to all commissioners in advance of this meeting and will become a part of the meeting record today. I actually understand that we got a late coming written comment as well. So I believe that that will be distributed if it hasn't already been and will as well become part of the meeting record. Great. Our first written comment comes from um, Sayanet, Sayayet, I'm sorry for the pronunciation, Naguse, Deputy Mayor for the City of SeaTac, speaking in support of Agenda Item 10D, stating that the proposed equity policy is a significant step forward for the port, benefiting the well-being of employees, visitors, and the surrounding communities, and addresses the need to identify and eliminate disparities, ensure accountability and proactively engage with the community to inform and influence decision-making related to port projects, programs, and initiatives. The next written comment comes from Cynthia Delastranos Johnson, Tukwila City Council President, who also writes in support of Agenda Item 10D, stating that the city is greatly impacted by the decisions of the port and believes the port's equity policy directive would have a profoundly positive impact on the people and businesses of Tukwila. And then our final written comment uh, that we received before the deadline today comes from Douglas Alarenshaw, Seattle resident, who writes in opposition to what he has heard is a potential plan to force the upcoming waterfront bicycle path to make two unnecessary crossings of Alaskan Way near the cruise terminal. He asks that the path of the west side of Alaskan Way be kept for its duration for efficiency and safety purposes. And that concludes the written comments we've received. Great. Thank you so much, Clerk Hart. Hayward, I'm going to give you one more chance. Hayward, are you with us? All right, I tried. Um, hearing no further public comments, we'll move to the consent agenda. Items on the consent agenda are considered routine and will be adopted by one motion. 
Items removed from the consent agenda will be considered separately immediately after adoption of the remaining consent agenda items. At this time, the chair will entertain a motion uh, to approve the consent agenda uh, covering 8A, not 8B, not 8C, but 8D, E, and 8F. Do I have a motion? So moved. Seconded. Excellent. I have a motion and a second. Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Fellman. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Hoskawa. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you, and Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you, five ayes, zero nays for this item. Excellent. So we will now move on to uh, that the, the consent agenda passes as amended. Um, we will now move on to the two items of the consent agenda that were pulled, starting with item 8B. Clerk Hart will read it into the record, and then Steve will introduce it. Clerk Hart. I have a motion. Second, commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Whoever that is, can you please? That was Hayward, wasn't it? Hayward. It is Hayward. Aye. Thank you. Hayward, can you please mute the stream? Hayward, you're following along via the internet on the website. Go ahead and close that for us, please. And then if you could, if you are audible, please let me know after that time. Hayward, can you, can you please respond? It says you're unmuted. Okay, I'm going to go All ahead right. and continue to read. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Go ahead and take an Okay. Thank you. This is agenda item 8B, authorization for the executive director to execute a consultant services agreement in an amount not to exceed $500,000 to provide services for the development of waterfront design and environmental standards. Commissioners, this action will create consistency between the projects, decision-making, environmental standards, and application of port initiatives for the Waterfront Project Management Group. Uh, we have Joanna Hangel, Assistant Engineering Director, uh, available to answer any questions. Hello, uh, this is Joanna Hangel, Assistant Director of Engineering for Design specifically. Happy to answer whatever questions you like, uh, as well as provide a general overview if that would be helpful for you. Thanks, Joanna. I think Commissioner Feldman had some questions for you, so I'll just hand it over to him. Thank you, and, and my apologies for not giving you a heads up about just a couple of simple, simple questions, really. Um, I love consistency on the waterfront. I think it's a great idea, and trying to set a, a good bar for environmental standards across the way, it, what's not to like? So, um, but the two questions I have is, one is, um, well, for the application of the sustainability is a sustainable evaluation framework for some projects where consistency is good there's opportunities also to exceed and and so i i would i would assume that um in the description of these efforts we are not um we're not just setting the bar we're setting at least the minimum bar of consistency and not uh precluding the ability to exceed that is correct so the building code is going to be our bare minimum no matter what. We as support would really like to have better support to move beyond that. And so this will set kind of a, a port standard, standard minimum bar, but it is intended to work with the sustainability evaluation framework such that we are making 
prudent decisions on a project-by-project basis to do as best we can for leading the business initiatives as well as our sustainability and equity goals. Thank you. And, and somewhat tangential to uh, environmental standards, um, it's something that I understand in looking at part of the waterfront redevelopment, um, something as simple as signage has been seen as a challenge for our partners along the waterfront and that there are these different you know, whether you can post something on a railing versus something like that. Would you see um, this being, like, the question I have is really about the consistency with other jurisdictions' uh, requirements. Uh, clearly, this, the city's uh, permitting standards are the baseline. But I'm, I'm just wondering in terms of are we, are we trying to, you know, work with the city to sort of incorporate them into our attempt at uh, consistency? Is, is you know, it would be an outreach to them more than just saying, okay, we hear you and we'll just take what you give us. Yeah, there are a handful of points that we are specifically kind of aware of and thinking of where coordination with the city of Seattle as our partners in this um, and, and all of our infrastructure development on the waterfront side, frankly, are that's going to be a key element of the work. And so we intend to reach out on those particular topics as we see fit, but also have um, a really pretty broad-reaching um, survey of the needs, desires of both internal and external stakeholders, such that we're bringing in ideas and trying to um, write into our norms the, the best uh, we can as far as coordination and, again, pushing forward those different initiatives we have and trying to increase the consistency and quality and whatnot of the infrastructure that we provide. Fantastic. I hope we can get a report out after you're done with this noble effort. Thank you for sure. giving Glad a little bit more flesh on the bones. If I may, Commissioner. Excellent. All right. So we're going to, I'm going to vote on this as a block after we address 8C. So I'd like to move on to item 8C if Clerk Clark wants to introduce the item and let Steve uh, speak to it. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just looking back. We need a motion. Are we still on AB? No, I'm going to move on to 8C and then vote for both consent agenda items, you know, as a block. Is that okay? Oh, I understand. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. Okay. Cool. All right. So, yeah, well, we'll move on to 8C. Yeah, if there's no objection, I'm not hearing any. But yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, and before I do that, I just want to note that we'll follow up with Hayward after this meeting to make contact with him and get Great. his comment. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, you bet. This is agenda item 8C, authorization for the executive director to advertise and execute a major works construction contract in the amount of $440,000 to demolish the Fisherman's Terminal Bank Building, C12, for a total project cost of $496,000. Commissioners, this project was paused during the pandemic. Once demolished, this site will be used as a project laydown site for the construction of the Maritime Industrial Center with anticipated future use for the Gateway Building. So we have uh, online with us, we can see them right here, is Kelly Purnell, uh, the uh, Capital Project Manager for Waterfront Project Management, Carolise, Director of Real Estate Development and Economic Development, uh, and Dave McFadden, and I also see Jessica Carlson, the uh, Senior Real Estate Manager, and uh, uh, Dave McFadden, our Managing Director for Equity, uh, un for uh, Economic Development uh, Division. So we're glad to either recap this or answer specific Commissioner questions on this. Excellent. I think Commissioner Hamdi Mohammed had some questions for the team, so I'll just hand it over to Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you, President Cho. Yeah, I just had a, a couple of clarifying questions. 
So um, it's my understanding that this project, the demolishing of the Fisherman Terminal um, Bank building was part of the original gateway building project that was canceled um, in 2022. So I wanted to know what was the reason for that cancellation of the project and how much money was already spent on the project before it was canceled? I guess I'll take that question. Uh, good afternoon, uh, commissioners and Commissioner Mohammed. Uh, during the pandemic crisis, we reevaluated the priorities of our capital projects that were part of the FT redevelopment, which includes the Maritime Innovation Center some public space improvements, which include interpretive signage, several other projects, including potentially the gateway building um, that was to serve the emerging uh, and modernization interests of the maritime industry. We decided globally to pause the project so it's not canceled, but um, could be taken up as a future project and asserted the priority of the Maritime Innovation Center construction project. As we move forward towards construction of that project, uh, we restarted the demolition process and see it as a great opportunity for a laydown and for a, a rel relatively large-scale NWBE contract as we have a high-performance objective on NWBE preference on this contracting matter. So that's our rationale. Thank you for that clarifying information. I, I think I saw Ms. McFadden's hand on it, Director McFadden. I just, I could add there that as a result of some of the pandemic challenges, we had a great reduction in our capital capacity. So we had to make a number of very difficult decisions at that time to forego or mothball projects. And this is one of the ones that we had to push into the future. Thanks for that clarifying information. Um, did you want to you, ask? you had another question about the cost to date, and I, we may have to come back to you on that. I don't have it precisely unless Kelly might have access to. I don't for the entire gateway project, of which this was folded into, so we would have to come back to you on that. Okay, that is really helpful to hear. It says canceled on the memo, so it's, it's helpful to hear that it was paused and not canceled. Um, my other question is how much of the design um, of the Fisherman Terminal demolished happened under that project or has none of that started? Yeah, I can take that one. Um, most of it was completed under that. Um, so we basically picked it back up at 90% um, and we're and finishing it out, uh, which is very, very minimal. Um, it's you know, actually largely removing some sheets that had to do with the net sheds that were also part of that original demolition. Um, so that's not going to happen with, with this. So it's a, a very minimal amount that we've been using. Um, our seed money has already been approved to finish that. That's, that's really helpful. And um, the other question I, I had is, is there any historical value to this, uh, to the, to this, uh, the Fisherman Terminal uh, Bank building? with the exception of what Cho just said. So I, the uh, part of the code evaluation when you go for permits for demolition includes an evaluation of what's historic merit by the city of Seattle. I wasn't here for that part of its permitting activity, but I, I will reasonably assume that it did not meet the test by HRC. Thank you. 
Great, that's really helpful. And then my last question is, has any of the construction changed for the Maritime Innovation Center? Is that all on track? I can, I can answer very quickly. Um, we are, we took a, a six month added time to fix some of the design. Um, Kelly or Kira can dive into more specifics, but generally it's on schedule. Um, we expect to bring it back for construction authorization to use sometime this summer. That concludes my questions. Thank you. Excellent. Yeah, Commissioner Fellman. I, I just wanted to say how much I look forward to seeing that building come down and that I think the um, for potential future leasers of that property, seeing it as a clear slate will make it that much more appealing for a, uh, a marketing sale. So thank you. I was hoping to have seen it done beforehand, but I understand your prioritization at that time. Thank you, Commissioner Fellman. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Um, I will entertain a motion uh, to vote on items 8B and 8C as a block. So moved. Excellent. Second. Great. Uh, the motion has been made and seconded. Um, please say aye or nay. Clerk Clark, go ahead and call the roll. Thank you, Mr. Commissioner President. For the mini consent agenda, items A, B, and 8C, beginning with Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Fellerman. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you, and Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for this item. Excellent. The motion passes, and the items pass as well. Moving on in the agenda, we have four new business items today. Clerk Hart, please read the first item into the record. Thank you. This is agenda item 10A, Industrial Development Corporation Annual Meeting, Approval of Minutes, Designation of Officers, and Annual Report for 2022. Great. The Commission will now recess its regular business meeting to conduct the annual meeting of the Industrial Development Corporation of the Port of Seattle. The time is 1.02 p.m. And I'll now reconvene the meeting of the Industrial Development Corporation. All members of the IDC are present in attendance today. The IDC is a special corporation maintained by the Port of Seattle for the economic development purposes defined by state law and the corporation's charter. Although it's been several years since we, uh, there was an investment activity, there was new investment activity in the IDC, we hold this meeting to receive an annual report, confirm officers, and approve minutes. During the meeting, commissioners will be acting as directors of the corporation. Executive Director Dimitric, you have the floor to introduce the IDC. Directors, the IDC is a special purpose government that was established to facilitate industrial expansion through tax-exempt financing. Think of it as a financing subsidiary for the port. There was no IDC financing in 2022. In Burke Financial Analysis Corporate and Finance of the Office of Finance and Budget is our presenter for the IDC meeting today. But first, I believe that directors have some organizing business to attend to, so I'll turn it back over to Director Cho. Great. Our first order of business is adoption of the IDC minutes dated April 26, 2022, providing, provided in your meeting packets. Are there any objections to the minutes as presented? Mr. Commissioner President, I just want to note that I had um, uh, Ian not reflected in that set of minutes, and that has been corrected on our end. Correct. So it does reflect Ian Burke from last year's report. Thank you for that. 
Any objections to the minutes uh, as presented? Hearing none, the minutes are approved. I'll now accept the motion to confirm the IDC officers for this year. The slate of candidates for 2023 are as follows. Sam Cho, President, Toshiko Hazagawa, Vice President, Fred Feldman, Secretary, Hamdi Mohammed, Director, Ryan Calkins, Director. Is there a motion? So moved. Second. It has been moved and seconded. Directors, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Clerk Hart. Thank you, Director Calkins. Aye. Thank you, Director Fellerman. Aye. Thank you, Director Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you, Director Mohammed. Aye. Thank you, and Director Cho. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for that slate of officers. Excellent. The motion passes. Mr. Burke, please continue with your IDC report. Thank you. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Uh, yes, you should have all received the IDC's 2022 annual report in your packet. Uh, this report has already been posted online for the general public. The report contains detailed background information on the IDC, as well as its limited financial activity in 2022, uh, essentially just interest or earnings on the fund balance and a small amount of administrative expenses for managing the IDC. Um, as a brief refresher, the port's IDC was established in 1982 to facilitate industrial development in King County by effectively providing a vehicle through which a private company could access the tax-exempt municipal market. Uh, think of the IDC as a conduit to the tax-exempt market. Um, the IDC itself does not lend any money, um, and all debt issued by a private bu business through the IDC is non-recourse to the port and to the IDC. The port is also not allowed to lend or contribute funds directly to the IDC. Uh, as noted in the report, federal tax law, particularly the Tax Reform Act of 1986, has greatly limited the types of projects and facilities that qualify for tax-exempt financing. As a result, the port's IDC and IDCs in general have seen very, very little in the way of new refinancings. We had 15 projects funded through the IDC between 1982 and 1986, and we have only had two since that time. As of December 31st, 2022, there remains only one company, Delta Airlines, with outstanding debt funded through the IDC, and, and that debt has a final maturity scheduled for 2030. Uh, unless you have any specific questions, this concludes my presentation on the IDC. Great. Any questions for, uh, for Mr. Burke here? Yeah, Commissioner Feldman. So I, I recall last, last time round was... Um, Crowley was the last outstanding one with Delta. And so Crowley cleared their debt in this past year? Or was that the year before? Crowley was, it was the year before, correct. Crowley was paid down in 2021. So, and so, is the rate of return, I mean, are, are they decreasing their debt at a, can, can they just use any sort of increment they want over this period of time till 2030, or is it, a fixed amount per time. No, there is a set a set pay down schedule for for Delta. I, I don't have that in front of me, but I could get back to you. With oh, that's that all right. If you'd like. It doesn't really have bearing on our financing. So, as anyway, it's the last one standing. That's all I wanted to know. Thank you. All right, Commissioner Hazagawa. No. no. Oh, I'm sorry. All right. Hearing no further business of the Port of Seattle Industrial Development Corporation. 
The IDC annual meeting is now adjourned. The time is 1.07 p.m. The Port of Seattle Commission meeting is now reconvened. Clerk Hart, please read the next item into the record. We'll then hear from Executive Director Metric to introduce the item. Thank you. This is agenda item 10B, authorization for the executive director to execute a memorandum of understanding with King County that formalizes the county's funding support and participation in the International Public Market Feasibility Study with an estimated project cost of $199,000. Commissioners, this memorandum of understanding with King County will solidify our partnership and allow us to move forward collaboratively with a feasibility study for the international public market concept. Funding for this item uh, for the 2023 budget was proposed by Commissioner Mohammed, and thanks to her leadership and your all leadership and the hard work of our economic development staff and others, we've reached this project milestone. This MOU will result in a draft report on the current market conditions, identify market attributes, identify site possibilities, develop cost projections, and ultimately analyze the feasibility of this idea. Presenters this afternoon are Annie Tran, Economic Development Manager from the Economic Development um, Division, and also Dave McFadden, Managing Director, Economic Development Division. So I don't know, Dave, or is it going to be you to kick off then, Annie, or Annie it first? I'm not Annie. sure. Annie's okay, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Annie. No, the mic's Do I press the button? Oh, there we go. Go ahead. Good afternoon. Thank you so much, Executive Director Steve Metrick, Commissioners, Commission President, Commissioner Vice President, and Deputy Executive Director Soiki. We really appreciate your time today as we introduce this International Public Market Feasibility Study. My name is Annie Tran, and I am the Economic Development Manager for the Port of Seattle on Dave McFadden's team. I am here today to seek commission authorization for the Executive Director to execute an MOU with King County. This will formalize the county's funding of $50,000 to support and participate in the International Public Market Feasibility Study with the Port of Seattle. Next slide, please. A little bit about the project. The Port of Seattle and King County are interested in conducting this feasibility study in South King County. Ideally, this permanent marketplace would be easy to get to and from from SEA Airport. Some of the goals of this project is to attract tourists from all around the world, far and wide, provide a cultural gathering space, and also support economic development and entrepreneurship for small businesses. The proposed study is to not exceed the 199,000 threshold, and this MOU will formalize King County's financial commitment of $50,000, as well as um, their part in helping manage this project and also participating in the advisory committee. Next slide, please. As for the scope, there are two parts to this project. Um, phase one is primarily focused on collecting robust community engagement and feedback, as this is a top priority for us. We want to ensure that we understand the need for this project and the impact on existing and prospective businesses in South King County before moving to phase two. Phase two, um, if, if the results from the community engagement process are favorable, we will then pursue phase two and drill down to the details to further understand what this international public market facility could look like, where it's going to be sited, and also what it may cost to build and operate in the short and long term. Next slide. 
reasons for this project is that it does align well with our century agenda goals of advancing tourism and also the growth of this region. It also serves as an international domestic tourist destination as stated before, and it could also provide an economic asset to South King County to benefit cities such as Tequila, SeaTac, and other surrounding communities in South King County. This marketplace could generate um, economic activity to support jobs and support small businesses. In addition, we know that South King County is home to large immigrant and refugee communities and the project like this could also support and prevent some of the displacement of small businesses as the, the region continues to grow. Next slide, please. As for the timeline, we did mention that this project is broken down into two phases and so you'll see at the top line um, a draft report on the current market conditions and interviews from local stakeholders will be that first part and we're hoping to pursue the community engagement in the next couple months which will be completed in mid-June. If um, phase one is favorable as we mentioned we will then continue with the rest of the timeline to explore the preferred site requirements, potential sites, and complete a final feasibility report at the end of 2023. Then to close the loop we will then present our findings to the stakeholders that we initially engaged. And next slide, please. That concludes our presentation today. If there are any questions, we'd be happy to answer them. Excellent, thank you, Annie, for the presentation. Are there any questions from staff at this time from commissioners? We'll begin with Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you. Um, I actually don't have any questions, but I have worked very closely with Annie and Director McFadden on this um, topic, as well as South King County uh, uh, Council Member Dave Updegrove from the King County Council. Um, you know, often uh, South King County is seen as a community that is driven through, especially when you arrive at SeaTac Airport. And um, this market study and the potential of building a public market in South King County would change that and um, people who do arrive at SeaTac Airport could look at this community as a place not just to drive through but a place that they could come and visit and walk away with something similar to what we see in Seattle, um, similar to what we see at um, Pike Place Market in Seattle. And so this is um, a study that I'm really excited about, and um, it's an opportunity to promote tourism, sustainability, and economic development in this in this particular community. Um, and I just want to say to my colleagues that we were really intentional about breaking this study up into two phases. And um, you know, there's a lot of dollars being put into this. I mean, 200,000 is not a lot compared to other projects that we approve at the port, but it's it's still a lot to me to, to invest these amount of money into these studies. And so breaking it up into two phases really gives um, the commission an opportunity to have an input on what are we actually hearing from the community? A lot has changed since, since the pandemic has hit. And so really being intentional about the need for a public market and making sure that um, the communities and businesses near the airport also have an opportunity in um, shaping the study and saying that, the, that there is a particular need for this. Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing the outcome of phase one um, to help inform what uh, Dave McFadden's team ends up doing for phase two. And 
Um, just want to encourage you all to support this initiative today and um, just want to express my deep gratitude for Annie and Director McFadden for taking this on and making it something really great. Thank you. Excellent. Any other uh, questions or comments? Commissioner Hazagawa. Thank you for the presentation. Thank you so much, Commissioner Mohammed, for the vision and the leadership on this exciting program. Um, I'm wondering um, if what the vision is, if it's a seasonal farmer's market or if we're thinking of a fixed location indoors that will be there and available as an anchor year round. That's a great question. I'd love to have Dave McFadden chime in. Yeah, I will, I will in on that. Thank you, Commissioner Hasegawa. I think we're really trying to develop this as a full-time year-round uh, market. Um, obviously, taking advantage of weather and outdoors opportunities, so it'll have an outdoor component. But I do think I envision it having some indoor component as well. What we've learned is really for the market success, you really have to have a facility that supports a wide variety of economic and community activities, not just purely vendors and stalls, but also places to activate, places to offer classes, places for the community to come. And so I think that's our, our qualified vision for now, but we're really anxious to get the community's input in terms of just what, what do they want? Do they want it full time? Um, what do they really dream of in terms of the public marketplace? Do you, thank you. Do you suppose that um, part of this uh, might lead to the need to acquire property in order to house a program like this? Or do you anticipate that we might use existing port facilities or properties? Um, or would we be in partnership with King County? Um, or is siting part of the scope of this study? Siting is part of the study. Um, as, as Commissioner Mohammed mentioned, the first phase is just to test the community spirit, their willingness and interest in developing this facility. If that's the case, then we have to look at the siting possibilities, the properties that make sense. I can generally offer that there aren't really any port properties available or that would really make sense for this, um, but I think that's part of the study we'll look at. We'll right. revisit that. Um, and I just think that down the road, yes, we'll have to look at how much it costs to build, how much it costs to operate, and ownership structures. And that's something that we will participate in and look at our own options as potential partners in this future facility. Yeah, um, that's, that's helpful and something that I think we should be thinking about. I know that the port has explicit and implied powers when it comes to acquiring property, and it has to fit squarely within our mission, but depending on the need, the use, the function, um, and the anticipated deliverables associated, I wonder if we should be accounting for any sort of legal fees or expenses um, to navigate some of those potential challenges, seeing as we might not have the property already in our, in our portfolio. It's an excellent question. Um, coincidentally, Commissioner Mohammed and County uh, Councilman Updegrove have asked for an upfront legal briefing this week uh, just to get the lay of the land, just to understand what the guardrails and parameters are for either of our jurisdictions' participation in this type of project. And so uh, I don't 
know if I can answer the question of whether we need to make legal investments. I think that'll come clear this fall as we get further into the study. So thinking to the geography, the zip code, the, the cities where we're talking about um, and the demography of those cities, uh, it's there's so much of the cultural and um, ethnic diversity of our county and of our state is clustered in South King County. Um, and I think that this is an excellent opportunity to be able to create access to those communities uh, from the broader uh, region. And so I wonder, um, and drive, you know, potential spend and, um, and, and customers to their businesses. I wonder if um, we're talking about doing something off of light rail station so it's accessible to folks um, by mass transit or, um, you know, what accessibility looks like um, so that we can have actual customers coming through there easily or even travelers uh, it's a definite yes if i were thinking about the criteria in terms of where the market should be located it's very near public transit ideally close to sound transit so there's a direct link between our, our arrivals our passengers coming through SeaTac, and so they don't go through to Seattle, they stop. They stop somewhere along the way and are able to walk to a beautiful new public facility. I see this so as... Yes, that access is hugely important. I, when I subscribe to this vision, I, I, I think of it as a potential tourist destination for people flying in or even folks um, docking at one of our terminals who want to be able to walk up to a light rail station and get out there and see what this region has to offer in the time that they have here. And when we're talking about the benefits of tourism being um, access to capital for small businesses, when we expand that geography outside of downtown Seattle or the waterfront, really bring that into um, those communities, those airport adjacent communities that are majority brown, majority black, majority minority communities, immigrants, refugees. Um, I think that we are um, advancing equity in our work. So I would like to again reiterate my appreciation for staff and Commissioner Mohammed for your leadership and I look forward to supporting it. Thank you, Commissioner Hazagawa. Anyone else? Commissioner Calkins. Thanks. Um, I'm supportive of this initiative, um, but I also just want to share that it's sort of conditional support. Um, I see this as an excellent project uh, for us to test a hypothesis, which is there is a need in this region of the county um, that historically has been underserved for this kind of opportunity for small businesses to coalesce. And having been very close to a lot of this kind of work uh, in my own professional career, sometimes the market won't fill that need without some sort of external intervention. And that's usually the, the, the appropriate purview of government is to come in and say, we're going to herd the cats to make sure that all the component parts necessary to make something like this successful will focus long enough to, to spin up that flywheel and get the, the main motor of the market going. Um, what that implies, or at least what I, what I'll explicitly state, is that I think uh, the port should not be the longtime owner of this project. That we're helping to get it started, but then once there is a sort of a geographic location, 
you know, I think whichever municipality it sits in should take a leadership role. Or maybe there's an external agency like a chamber or a nonprofit that serves, you know, similar to like the PDA for Pike Place Market. Um, and, and the other part of this is I think we also have to be prepared to learn from this that maybe there isn't a need for it. And a couple of years down the road, we take the learnings and say, all right, it was an interesting hypothesis, but didn't it in fact bear out. So I'm willing to make this investment because I do think this kind of relatively small um, initial investment can have a really profound return on investment if in fact it is the fly the wheel we need to get the larger thing going. But like I said, I, I think we can be that catalyst and then we can step back and let it work its magic once it's big enough to overcome those initial barriers. Excellent. Thank you, Commissioner Calkins. Uh, I would also like to thank Commissioner Mohammed for uh, your leadership on this. I know you've been floating the idea since you got here, and I'm really happy to see that we've got the ball rolling. So I'm really excited to see how the results of the study come out. And to Commissioner Calkins's point, how the port or any other agency in the area might be able to lead in making it happen. So, yeah, Commissioner Fallon. And thank you for breaking it in two parts. So we will be able to do that evaluation and determine what our role might be. Correct, yeah. All right, hearing no further questions for this item, is there a motion and a second? So moved. Seconded. Great, the motion was made and seconded. Clerk Hart, please call the roll for the vote. Thank you, beginning with Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you, Commissioner Fellerman. Aye. Thank you, and Commissioner Toe. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for this item. Excellent. The motion passes. All right, we'll move on to the next item on our agenda, which is item 10C. Clerk Hart, please introduce the item, and Steve will go ahead and speak to it. It's going to take a second. Thank you. This is agenda item 10C, authorization for the executive director to authorize $156,400,000 for phase B construction to authorize the transfer of $1,559,000 from the main terminal low voltage program to authorize $3,100,000 for final design addressing existing building code compliance and to execute a tenant reimbursement agreement with Alaska Airlines for this portion of the work of the North Main Terminal Redevelopment Program at Seattle-Tacoma International Airport for a requested amount of $159,500,000 and a total estimated project cost of $550 million. Commissioners, today's action on the North Main Terminal Redevelopment Program will be the fifth time the Commission has acted and on this item since 2021. Once complete, this project will completely reimagine the ticketing area for Alaska Airlines in our North Terminal, as well as improve throughput, ensure code compliance, increase natural light, and build out our mezzanine, promenade, security checkpoint, and HVAC systems. Phase A construction for build out of the promenade and the bridge space are currently underway. This authorization for Phase B will align screening lanes to reconfigure the ticketing area and remove the mezzanine above Alaska's existing ticketing pots to open the space. This project is part of our larger upgrade SEA effort to improve and enhance customer experience at our airport. The presenters are, we'll begin with Aviation Managing Director Lance Little, and then we'll move to Jeff Moken, Senior Manager, Airline Affairs and Aviation Properties, and Alan Olson, Capital Project Manager. So with that, I think Lance, I turn it over to you. 
Uh, thank you, Steve. Can we have the presentation up? Thank you. So, good thank you, Steve. Good afternoon, um, commissioners. As Steve mentioned in his opening remarks, we won the award for the best airport in North America. Yeah. Yes. Um, and as he also pointed out, one of the reasons, there are many facets, but one of the reasons is because of the new facilities um, that we have built. And always remind everyone that we won the award for the best airport, not the perfect airport. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole lot of work um, to be done. And this project is one of the whole lot of work that's left um, uh, to be done. If you take a walk from the Gina Marie Hall and you walk north up to the Alaska ticket counters, you'll see a distinct change there as you go through the different zones. And just aesthetically, how efficient or inefficient the facility operate, um, code um, compliance or lack thereof, uh, or outdated code compliance, et cetera, et cetera. You'll see that difference. This project addresses that. This project fixed that. So it will address the code, get, get the, the facility or that zone up to code. The customer experience um, that uh, you will experience or the customers will experience once this facility is completed is night, just night and day. And how efficient um, the facility will operate. We have worked very closely with Alaska Airlines, so they are very supportive of this project. It's a great partnership between us and Alaska Airlines. And I think a new updated facility is just befitting of our hometown carrier and our, um, our largest hub carrier here at the airport, that they have a really great facility for their um, customers. It is also important that not only that we build and deliver these facilities, but it's also important that we communicate what we're doing, how we're going to do it, when we're going to do it, and why we're doing it to all the key stakeholders. So our passengers, the members of the public, the tenants within the airport, I think it's extremely important that they understand what, when, and why we're doing it. And Steve mentioned Upgrade SE. That's the program that we're undertaking to communicate, not just this project, but all the major projects at the airport uh, to all the relevant um, customers. So we're going to be working very, very closely with the Alaska Airlines team, their communications team. We're going to use all the available um, uh, methodologies to get it done, whether it's social media, TV, traditional advertising, website, etc., to get this information out and get this information across to all the stakeholders. So, without any further ado, I'm going to hand over to Jeff Moken, which will give us some more details on this project. Jeff? Uh, thank you, Lance. Appreciate that. And good afternoon, Executive Director Metric and Commissioners and those in attendance. Uh, may I at least have the slides advance a couple, please? Thanks for that. And again, just to repeat, the requested action is to request the Commission's authorization for the Executive Director to authorize $156.4 million for Phase B construction, the transfer of $1.559 million from, from the main terminal low-voltage program, and $3.1 million for final design addressing existing building code compliance. Lastly, the execution of a Tenant Reimbursement Agreement, or TRA, with Alaska Airlines, as Lance mentioned, as part of the North Main Terminal Redevelopment Program, also known as SEA Gateway. Next slide, please. And this is an animation of our future vision. Alan, feel free to provide commentary. Good afternoon, everyone. As you can see, uh, the previously open bridge promenade level is built out here. Uh, and we're getting an exterior view of that, along with the view of the relocated um, entry portals on the departures drive. 
and in between those entry portals there are bump outs that are being built in the curtain wall to accommodate additional uh, check-in and baggage drop at the north end here of the main terminal. And this is what the new interior is going to look like uh, once we are finished. To the right, you will see some automated bag drop equipment, uh, which is new technology that's being introduced as part of this program. And that is going to be found throughout um, Alaska's ticketing area. We also have several locations that we've identified for public art. And this is the new main ticketing area right now where um, Alaska has their, their pods for their two-step system. It's going to be opened up and uh, be much, much more open and uh, brighter. This is coming down the new uh, central thoroughfare where uh, Zone 6, uh, as we call it, uh, where that mezzanine area is being removed to create this uh, higher uh, hall. And perhaps most importantly uh, are the updates to security screening checkpoint number five, which is um, uh, regularly a, um, a choke point uh, for people trying to get through security screening. We're going to be increasing the size um, and rationalizing the layout of the screening lanes and providing a uh, fairly spacious recompose area post-security. Those are the escalators heading down to the ST level. And that's the end okay. of the animation. Next slide, please. Thanks, Alan. Well, between Lance and Alan and that really cool video montage there, it actually speaks to my next several slides, so I'll just be brief. But nonetheless, the program background, as we've articulated at several other times previously, uh, is a uh, coordination between Alaska and the port on this redevelopment program starting in 2019. Alaska is designing and constructing the various updates uh, using the progressive design build PDB delivery method under the TRA, as I previously mentioned. And the port is planning to design and construct similar improvements in the remaining areas of the main terminal uh, in the future main terminal improvement programs, otherwise known as MTIP. Next slide, please. Uh, the program drivers, uh, back in 1968, the airport was designed for 25 million annual passengers, or what we are commonly referred to as 25M uh, map. Uh, however, in present tense, we're pretty much sitting at a 50 map. So you can see as a 2X in our business, it is uh, driving significant delays in the ticket lobby as well as congestion in the security checkpoints. 
and it's certainly exacerbated during peak holiday seasons and peak periods of the day or throughout the week. The SCA Gateway Project addresses this congestion in addition to compliance with existing building and fire code, as Lance articulated, and present and near-term projected passenger growth, as well as keeps pace with advances in technology and ultimately improves the overall passenger experience at SCA. Next slide, please. The project does address three levels of our airport, the mezzanine, the promenade, and baggage claim level. And uh, all these points over here, they, the, the work, as I mentioned, will increase the capacity of ticketing and security screening, updates the fire compression, adds ADA, very important compliant ramps, improves our HVAC lighting and baggage, re reviews and refreshes architectural finishes, incorporates new passenger processing technology, and removes asbestos from work areas, most importantly. Phase A work, which you've, uh, which you've heard from us previously, is currently underway creates 24,000 square feet of new tenant and operational spaces on the bridge and promenade level, provides new ADA-compliant ramps on the baggage claim exits, relocates the entry doors, as we saw in the video, on the departure drive to improve passenger flow, and constructs those bump-outs at the existing ticketing window, which will allow us to add more capacity, which will th therefore allow more customers a convenient th thoroughfare as they transition from the escalators to the actual check-in area. Phase B work, which is scheduled to begin in just a couple of months, actually Q3 actually, removes the mezzanine from Alaska's existing ticketing pods and reconfigures the northernmost portion of the mezzanine, reconfigures Alaska's ticketing area, as well as realigns the screening lanes and expands the recompose area at security screening checkpoint five to improve passenger processing, as you just again saw in the video. Next slide, please. Alan, back to you. And here we are at the cone of certainty, which I'm sure you've all seen before. And given that this is a progressive design build, um, you know, we are further ahead with the phase A work. We're uh, currently at 100% design uh, for phase A. And right now uh, we just passed the 60% uh, design for the phase B work. And uh, we are uh, moving ahead. Next slide, please. Here's a overall cost breakdown explaining, uh, you know, what our previous requests have been, um, this request and uh, the program total. And at this point, we're estimating that um, we will require perhaps up to $50 million to uh, complete the rest of the uh, code-related uh, upgrade work that we need to do for this program. And we plan to come back to uh, see the commission with our final guaranteed maximum price and uh, whatever additional construction funding we're going to need uh, for that code-related work on the 27th of June this year. Next slide. We're currently on schedule. Uh, as you can see, uh, we've already made uh, a, a great deal of uh, headway on the phase A work. Um, and we also visited, uh, we presented the uh, sustainable design approach to the SEAC committee on the 21st of February. And uh, we are on track to achieve lead silver for commercial interiors um, at the end of the program. Uh, and you can see that we are looking to uh, arrive at our final guaranteed maximum price in early May. Uh, which again will allow us to come at the come back at the end of June uh, 
with with that final guaranteed maximum price and uh, whatever supplement uh, request for whatever supplemental funding we'll need. Uh, the work is scheduled right now to be substantially complete uh, in the middle of the second quarter of 2026, uh, and we believe that we are on track to do that and uh, working very diligently with the design-build team to shorten that construction duration. Next slide, please. Um, here are some of the, the key program risks and mitigation efforts that we have been pursuing. Uh, number one, uh, on top of making sure that uh, everyone stays safe during this work, uh, are the operational impacts. There, there's no way that this work can take place in a functioning terminal without there being um, operational impacts. So we've put quite a lot of effort into planning for these and uh, working with a variety of internal and external stakeholders to ensure that we, uh, A, provide the safest environment possible during this work, and B, that we minimize the amount of disruption that uh, passengers and, and other guests using the terminal are going to experience. And as you can see, we have, uh, work, we have been working and will continue to be working with quite a, quite a number of uh, uh, groups within the port and, again, with our, our tenants and um, other stakeholders to make sure that uh, we announce what it is we're going to be doing well in advance and that we uh, do everything we can to uh, minimize the amount of pain and disruption. Uh, the other key item that we're looking at is that there is a lot of work uh, going on throughout the airport, and uh, we have overlaps with the work that we are doing with other key projects that are, are currently underway. And so we have uh, been coordinating with all of these different projects. Um, in fact, part of this uh, action today uh, is to do a budget transfer from the main terminal low voltage program to this program because uh, it made more sense for this, uh, this project to do the work. Um, and, and so we've taken that on from uh, main terminal low voltage. But uh, we're working very closely with terminal security enhancements, uh, the widen arrivals drive, uh, and other projects to make sure that um, we are working in harmony and not against each other. Next slide, please. Here are some pictures of the work that's uh, already taking place in the baggage claim, uh, that area where the sloped glazing is. Um, on the exterior of that is the bridge promenade level. And uh, that is the area that is uh, currently being built out um, into new uh, operational and office space. Next slide. Here's another view of one of the um, exit portals in the baggage claim that's going out to the arrivals drive. And you can see we put a lot of attention uh, into uh, the enhanced uh, wayfinding during this period of time to make sure that um, while we have our construction barricades up, that people know where, where to go to get what they need to do. Next slide. And here's just a, a wider view of uh, what it looks like um, up at the north end of the uh, baggage claim area where we already have those construction barricades fully in place. Next slide. Any questions? 
All right, thank you very much, Jeff and Alan. Um, I'll open it up. Are there any questions for staff at this time from commissioners? If you would like to speak, let me know. Commissioner, Fel uh, we'll go with Fred first. But Commissioner Feldman. Well, thanks for that presentation, and, and thanks for this project. I think this is going to be one of the most significant transformations of the user experience. I mean, if, if any other airport I go to, it's that, that initial impression you get of the space where you can select the gate you go to. It's, we're still very constrained, but this is like the best step towards that experience. So thrilled by that, and I don't envy and I'm trying to do it while we're operating. But um, I'm just wondering, in terms of our influence on the design of stuff, as, as a tenant reimbursement project, is there, is there a challenge, or is it just the same that it's a jointly agreed upon design, and, or is there less influence by the port? Uh, I can take that question. Um, all of this work is being done to port standards and specifications. And we've also, uh, you know, because of the main terminal improvements program, which is following behind us, um, we're also being very mindful about the types of finishes that are, that are being used because we don't want there to be uh, that much of a difference between what you're seeing in the Alaska area as opposed to what, what's going to be, be happening in the rest of the main terminal. So I would say that we exercise a, a great deal of control, perhaps as much as we would have if this was a project that, that we were building ourselves. Thank you. Um, and my next question comes to the question about the application of the sustainability framework. I, I know we got briefed on it, and my impression always was going to be that this would come to the full commission that, um, and that we would see these different alternatives and like how much, you know, dollars per carbon averted would, would these different alternatives be in? Would we go for the more expensive HVAC system or less so? And I kind of think that we gave you feedback on what, what was recommended, but I think the alternative analysis was something that the final decision was going to be of the commission and not just two people of a committee. And so, and you didn't really present at all what the, um, what the decision was other than you're saying that we're striving for leads, silver, I think, for the interior finishes. And so it, so it was kind of an understated aspect of this project. I'm just wondering, is there more to share with the commissioners? Well, um, Alex Potashaver from Aviation Environmental is, is here, and perhaps uh, she, can, she can speak to uh, your question more or your statements uh, better than I could. Hello, Commissioners. My name is Alex Portishover. I'm part of the sustainability team. Um, happy to answer any questions about the framework. I think in general, Commissioner Feldman, you're correct that we use the SEAC committee as an opportunity to present all of the different sustainability strategies that we're considering and to get input on what strategies ultimately end up in the design. This project was a little bit different in that it came to that committee quite late in design, and so that's a lesson learned for us. And I hear the feedback about bringing the, the options to the full commission, and that's something we can discuss and consider. I'm new. I just started last August, and so it was my understanding that we only brought those options to the committee, and the committee served as sort of a filter for the rest of the commission. But we can talk about whether that continues to make sense or we need to instead bring all of those options to the full commission when these items come. 
Thank you. I, I guess we have, I mean, I had a great discussion and we ran through a lot of the stuff that helped me understand it, but I, I kind of think this is a very important thing for, we have these ambitious climate change goals and it's, I, I don't want you to miss the opportunity to share these things. And was there something? Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay, great. Commissioner. This final thing is like, you showed this great picture of all the, you know, pardon our dust construction boxes. I've been saying for a while that aren't these great opportunities to have temporary art? That, that, that some of that's, you know, it's, it's uh, instead of just having these gray walls, I, I, I think it's like the second to last slide. I, I just see as a way to uh, mitigate some of the mess that I, I just, but like, you know, vinyl even that you could wrap these things with. But have we thought about art in the course? Because obviously this is going to generate a lot of 1%. Anyway. Like that, isn't are that beautiful? Yes, uh, Commissioner, are you referencing the construction? Yeah, model? like this beautiful picture, yes. Yes, so they, the team actually has a plan for each of the zones. One of the zones actually is going to be dedicated to art. So it will just have artwork, and we're, I think we're considering featuring the local art community, and the other sections will have different themes. So you'll see a whole lot more than just a white wall or a gray wall as the project. Um, I'm just talking about temporary art installation. No, that's what we're talking about, temporary, oh. yeah, for oh. the construction walls, yes. Thank you. Yeah. All right, I saw Sandy pop up. Sandy, did you want to chime in, or are you good? Uh, I, I'm good. Uh, the Alex, I think, answered the question, so I have nothing, nothing more to Okay, you. good. Thank you. Commissioner Calkins? I wanted to ask about, um, on we can go to slide seven. So under phase A work, we create 24,000 square feet of new tenant operational spaces at the bridge and promenade. However, on the mezzanine level, aren't we um, losing quite a bit of square footage of tenant space? And roughly how much square footage is that? Um, Jeff, I, I guess I would have to defer to uh, to properties on that. I'm not sure of the exact square footage that is. I, I uh, guess maybe, uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot there, but I guess I'm just sort of wondering from the standpoint of uh, revenue impacts for us, you know, based on the the great animation that we got to see on the mezzanine level, it does appear as if we're carving out a very large section of that ticketing for security I don't believe we get to collect rent on TSA, uh, and so presumably we're losing some rent revenue associated with that space and the mezzanine above it. Uh, we're replacing some of that, at least, with the um, the phase A work on the um, bridge and promenade level, but maybe uh, Managing Director Little, you could speak to... Is this going to sort of net out, or are we hope? Well, I'm going to ask Alan to maybe speak about all the additional space that we're going to gain in the mezzanine area, not just in Zone Six, Zone Seven, but all the other zones going on. Don, you want to just speak to that? That might explain or answer Commissioner Collins' yeah. question. So I, I, I did a, a, a real quick uh, look here. I, I think with the twenty-four thousand that's being built out on the bridge promenade level, now uh, and the, the loss of the zone six mezzanine, we're looking at a net gain of, of just over 10,000 square feet. Wow, that's great. And uh, that bridge promenade, is that, I mean, just thinking of sort of commercial real estate, is this like office space, retail? What do we anticipate that being leased for? Zone, 
Zone six and seven are going to be Alaska lease space for check-in and bag drop. And the remainder of, uh, you know, to the, to the south is going to all be uh, tenant space. Uh, not, there's no uh, dining and retail um, on, the, on the bridge promenade level. It's all going to be uh, tenant lease space. Okay. I think that's it. Great. Thank you. Any other questions or comments from commissioners? Commissioner Hazagawa. Thank you. Um, Lance um, or any of the presenters, can you explain to me why this improvement project is important? Yes. Um, if you look at the forecasted growth that we have that's going to be um, taking place, and if you look at how the existing facility um, operate now, there's just no way we'll be able to meet um, the growth, the demand, the expectation of our airlines and our passengers. Um, the level of service that's being experienced at that um, section of the terminal is nowhere near our long-term vision, that level of service optimal, that five-star rating that we're trying to get to, et cetera, et cetera. And it also doesn't utilize the um, technologies that the airlines now have in terms of how to process passengers, how to get bags, bag drop, et cetera. All these new technologies are just not accommodated or facilitated in the existing facility. In addition to all of that code, right, we need to upgrade the facility to work itself as well just to get up to code. And just aesthetically, it's, it's horrible. So I'm sorry find a better way, but this doesn't look like the best airport in North America. Um, but apart from that, it will be a whole lot more efficient. Also, as was mentioned, the um, additional efficiencies that we'll gain with the um, security checkpoint, mm -hmm. as well as uh, Jeff and Alan mentioned, that's usually a bottleneck for us at the airport. And this will improve the checkpoint um, facility in the north area as well. Does this project do anything to increase the number of travelers, or is it keeping step with authentic growth? Uh, travelers, uh, you know, one of the things I always point out, people don't travel because of an airport. People travel for leisure, for business, for medical, for education. They're going to travel whether we have the facilities or not. The only thing that's going to differ is the level of service that they will get here at this airport. If you saw what happened in the New York airports before they were upgraded, they were always on the like worst airport in North America, but or in the world. But it didn't stop people from traveling. People traveled nonetheless. Now they've upgraded. They've won several awards um, at the recent Skytrax award as well. So people don't travel because of airport. They travel for other reasons. We just need to make sure we have the facility and determine what level of service we're willing to provide for the folks that travel. Um, thank you. I, I appreciate the context and the importance of efficiency in order to be able to optimize the customer experience and that folks are traveling um, and that it's um, there's projected growth and we're going to do everything that we can, particularly since SAMP has been delayed, to make sure that we can meet the projected needs of the travelers that are going to be traveling anyway when push really comes to shove during peak season and folks are lined up around the corner and through the garage, um, I, um, we're, we're really sensitive to, to, to their experience. And so, um, so I appreciate your, your lifting up that context. Um, I'm wondering, speaking of efficiencies, is that new check-in equipment that Alaska is deploying um, for self-service um, going to do anything to impact the number of Alaska jobs? 
in terms of is it a form of automation that's going to supplant the role of um, direct service workers? I don't think so. I might ask Jeff or Alan to speak more to that, but that's not something I would anticipate anyone. It no, might change the way we, they operate, but I don't think you'll lose any jobs. No, we would get we can get an official statement from Alaska if you wish, Commissioner. But but coming from an airline background, I can tell you this is about improving efficiency. It's about improving how well those employees can process those customers. And so by virtue of that, I think at the end state, those customers are going to be high-fiving this project because it's going to make their job a bit easier, frankly, to not only engage the customer, but also to move them through through the process. Um, and, and again, if you look at forward-looking growth uh, here at, at, at air travel, not just at SEA, but there's there's going to be progressive growth. And so the more efficient they can be, the more customers they can process, not just only in the main terminal, but potentially in other satellite areas that we're exploring as well. Oh, I completely agree that customers will high-five us over this. I'm um, balancing efficiencies, operational efficiencies, with um, with protections for, for jobs. And so, um, uh, you know, I'm an official statement from Alaska about, you know, their commitment to be able to protect the existing jobs and making sure that nobody's being replaced by automation, I think, um, would be truly a win-win. I think that'd be really wonderful. Um, and then my last question um, is um, not a question. It's um, a thought. Um, you know us by now, and I just want to back up Commissioner Fellman's uh, line of questioning and asking about the um, sustainability framework and where that fits in here for for transportation um, being the core at what we do at the Port of Seattle, we also understand that that goes hand in hand with a, a holistic understanding of um, how that impacts um, our carbon output our, um, and climate change and the livability of our communities. And so it should be a part of every single presentation that you make, um, the sustainability component, um, not just for our knowledgeability as commissioners, but uh, for the knowledgeability of the public at large. Um, that's the point of public commission meetings. Um, that is our interest, um, and they are connected. And so please make every effort to make sure that that is proactively integrated to your presentations in the future. Um, and that concludes my questions. Thank you. We'll, we'll make sure that happened, uh, Commissioner. The chart that I normally show, it has that we're, the, in addition to, you know, the five-star and all the other goals that we have, another goal is to become... Um, the most, sorry, the greenest airport as well as the most accessible airport. So thanks for reminding us. We'll make sure we include that in future presentations. Thank you, Director. Great. Thank you so much. Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you, President Cho. First, I just want to say congratulations to Director Little on winning um, the best airport in North America. That is a huge accomplishment. It's a wee thing, yes. I was getting there. <laughs> <laughs> and to your whole entire aviation team, I know it takes a team effort to do that, and um, it's a well-deserved recognition for the exceptional work that you and your team do every single day. Um, and so uh, to your team, keep up the excellent work. Um, my questions, I think Commissioner Hasegawa got at it just a little bit. Um, I, you know, um, when I see these upgrades and these developments that you all do as a uh, point to meet some of our sustainability goals, 
um, when these upgrades happen, we are able to make better decisions and, and change our course to be more sustainable and reach that goal of being the greenest airport in North America. Um, I think at times when these types of projects happen, there are a lot of people who have concerns about this being the airport expanding. And while my understanding is that we are making these changes and operating within our footprint, I just want you to be crystal clear um, around that and provide just any sort of uh, thoughts around that. Uh, uh, I wish we had space to expand. <laughs> we, as you know, I was, I was doing an interview with Washington State University yesterday, and I was explaining to them we are we go in and up, or we go in and down. We we don't have any additional footprint. The, all the projects that we're doing right now, the major project as part of our CIP, is actually to accommodate the growth that has already taken place. Right? The growth, the, the projects that will be for expansion would be the projects that would be included in the SAM, Sustainable Aviation um, Airport Master Plan, and that's going through the environmental review um, phase right now. But all the projects that we have done, whether it's International Arrival Facility, the North Satellite, um, the central terminal, this project, they're really just to accommodate the growth that has already taken place. We're really playing catch-up um, with those projects. The, the capacity expansion projects will be part of the uh, master plan. Great. That, that's really helpful, I think, especially for the public to understand that we are making these changes within our existing footprint. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Commissioner, I think it's also important to point out that even the master plan will be built within the existing footprint. We're not acquiring any additional land um, as part of the master plan. It will be built within the existing 2,500 acres that we have. Great. Thank you mm -hmm. for that. Um, my other question is just considering the operational impacts. When I'm looking at these, um, the dollars, I, I, I know you mentioned that both the airlines and the port will prioritize communicating clearly to the public around these construction impacts. Is there an exact dollar amount? How do you guys intend to budget for that? Does that come back to the commission? Are you working within what is on here? We have the upgrade SCA. Um, uh, Kathy, you want to talk to that real quickly? Okay. I'll put Kathy on the spot. The answer is, in a nutshell, while, yes, but she'll explain more to the yes. And while <laughs> Kathy arrives, um, for me, it's, you know, considering some of the labor shortages that the aviation industry is experiencing right now within our airport, I think that communication piece will be really important in ensuring appropriate investment in that. Mm -hmm. Thank you for inviting me to respond to your question, Kathy Roeder, Director of Communications. So we already budgeted for advertising in last year's budget, and we had set aside uh, $300,000 for Upgrade SEA, and that's a combination of um, advertisements that you'll see uh, on social media and digital and all kinds of places. We're finalizing those right now. In addition to um, purchasing some giveaways so that we can be a little bit top of mind and we have a number of sponsorships. So we'll be doing some summer tabling, showing up at some outdoor festivals and experiences like that. So we're trying to meet the community in a lot of different places in different ways, but it's already budgeted and funded in, in our annual uh, budget process. Kathy, thank you. That's a helpful answer. And then my, I guess my last question, similar to that, is is there strategies in place um, that will be in coordination with both the airlines and even TSA to ensure that these impacts are not great for the, our customers coming through the airport and the community at large? Yeah, and that's one of the primary reasons why we did the tenant reimbursement agreement methodology 
because it allows the airline itself to control um, to a, a more extent the, I don't want to say pain, <laughs> but the pain that our joint passengers um, will 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 um will feel. We we have gone through extensive planning to mitigate the impact on the passengers as much as possible, and that's why it's so important that we really work closely, work collaboratively um, with our partner at Alaska Airlines. But we we have spent numerous hours just talking about all the different ways to mitigate. There are going to be some really tough times throughout the next um, couple of years, but we're doing everything within our part to make that as painless as possible. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Director Little. The, the last question that I have is um, around the communities near the airport. How does these construction um, impact those communities and how do we communicate to them? So we, um, Alan, you want to talk about the um, WIMBY goals or the um, other goals that we have? Um, and But before you go, that one of the things we have, we have also asked, um, as you said, the, I think Commissioner Fulman mentioned this, the bank, walls, et cetera. So one of the things we're doing is to try to incorporate the, the art community to have art displays on those walls. They'll be there for, they're temporary, so they'll be there for, for a few years. But Alan, if you could maybe talk about some of the Wimby goals that we have for this project as well and how the local um, communities would benefit from that. So um, on the port side of, of this um, arrangement, uh, this tenant reimbursement agreement, um, we have a consultant support contract uh, that has set a goal of 15% uh, uh, WIMBY participation, which is now um, uh, in excess of 20%. Uh, and that, again, is, is on the port side of, uh, of the agreement. Uh, for the design-build team, they have set a 15% uh, uh, WIMBY and small business participation goal, and they're still in the process of doing the the buyout for um, the remainder of Phase A and Phase B. But uh, they, we are confident that they're going to be able to achieve those goals. That concludes my questions. Thank you so much for the time. Okay, great. Um, I had one quick question. Is I know I think Ryan mentioned the mezzanine, but where are we putting those tenants? Are we putting them in the, uh, uh, where is it, the promenade level? Or where, 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 have we already determined what we're doing? The tenants that are being, being removed displaced. from the yeah. existing zones. Yeah. Um, Alan, you want to just state where they're going to, where, where Alaska is going to be sure. and then where the other tenants are going to be? Some of the tenants are going to be um, relocated to uh, the mezzanine level, uh, airport jobs, and Airport University are, are not on the mezzanine on the, the bridge promenade level, which is actually going to be a better location for them um, uh, in terms of being accessible to the public um, than their current locations. Alaska, a lot of Alaska's um, current uh, back-of-house functions are impacted by this, and uh, they have relocated them. Uh, to a variety of other areas, um, some of them post-security, some of them pre-security. Um, but the, the, And also we're going to be uh, utilizing some space in the old um, 1949 admin building uh, for, for some of these uh, tenants that are being displaced. Is the USO lounge affected by this project? No. Oh, okay. All right. They're getting some new neighbors. They're getting some new neighbors, but uh, no. Great.
Yeah. All right. Any other questions for staff at this time from commissioners? Hearing no further questions for this item, is there a motion and a second? So moved. Second. Great. Motion was made and seconded. Clerk Hart, please call the roll. Thank you. Beginning with Commissioner Coggins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellerman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hosagawa. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. And Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes and zero nays for this item. Great. The motion passes. Thank you very much, team, for the presentation and for answering all the questions. We will now move on to item 10D. Uh, Clerk Hart, please introduce the item. And Steve can speak to it afterwards. Thank you. This is agenda item 10D, introduction of resolution number 3812, a resolution establishing an equity directive to guide the integration of equity, diversity, inclusion, and belonging into the port's practices and policies, and to move our work beyond compliance and mandates toward long-term commitment and sustainable systems change. Commissioners, four years ago, the port created the Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, making us one of the first port authorities in the country to receive or to create such an office. Since that time, OEDI's impact has been critical to our, in our efforts to advance equity. Under the Commission's leadership, we have had many achievements, and we continue to center anti-racism and equity as a core value to guide our work and culture. The Equity, Diversity, the equity Policy Directive will codify much of this work and provide clarity on our efforts moving forward. To achieve our goal of becoming a model of equity, diversity, and inclusion, we must commit to work every day to combat systemic racism in all its forms. A huge thank you to the entire OEDI team and the change team members across the board for their fantastic efforts every day to help us get closer to that vision and in the work in this, in, and then uh, contributing to this work as well. So we have a number of presenters today um, we'll begin with Abukta uh, Gesar, our Senior Director of the Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, Taransky from the uh, Commission Office, a Strategic Advisor. We have uh, Beth Britz, uh, Senior Manager for Construction Services, Construction Operations, uh, uh, Kenneth Lyles, a Director of Maritime Operations and Security, uh, Elise uh, Aiden, Interim Senior Program Manager of en Environmental Engagement. And we also have uh, from, uh, from CPO, from contracting, Sophia Mayo, Senior Managing Service Agreements, and also Carol Hassard, uh, Contract uh, Administrator uh, from the Central Procurement Office uh, to answer questions as well. So, Gupta, at this point, I think I believe I'm turning it over to you. Thank you. Thank you, Executive Director Metric, and good afternoon, Commissioners. Uh, for the record, my name is Bukta Qaysar. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the Senior Director of Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Just a little correction, I'm sorry, Steve, in your introductions is that uh, only four of us presenting additional staff are available to answer any questions that might come up about elements of the directive. Um, all right, so uh, I am really excited for this day. This is absolutely a historic day at the Port of Seattle that many of us have been working towards for years. Uh, as you remember, the Office of Equity was first established in June of 2019. In January of 2020, our work was incredibly accelerated because of the COVID crisis, the economic crisis that our communities faced in King County, uh, the murder of George Floyd, 
and the uprisings in, um, around the country demanding for racial justice. Commissioner Cho, thank you for your leadership. You proposed the equity motion that was supported by the full commission. That motion really allowed us to do much of what we have accomplished over the last four years. Uh, we've done a lot of work, and now this directive really picks up from the, uh, where the equity motion started and has placed for us. The directive in multiple ways allows us to really cement and institutionalize equity into the life of this organization so that the generations after us, um, many people who will come into the organization can benefit and know that equity is infused in every aspect of the Port of Seattle. Uh, the policy directive accomplishes a number of things. One is that it uh, actually uh, centers accountability and transparency in multiple aspects of the directive where we are mandated to do public reporting within the port or to our communities. We'll be highlighting some of that. It's also really a significant way to put our values into action. Um, there are multiple elements of the directive also that Tyler and I will be speaking about that are based on base best practices of governments that we have worked with around the country. And some are absolutely uncharted territory and are innovative, like the equity spending element that we have so far not found a single other government that's tackled this. So it's really exciting work and truly revolutionary, in my opinion, for us to be tackling such directive. Um, that, uh, and as you've heard many people speak today about us being the first port in the country that established the Office of Equity, and we continue to be a leader in ports reaching out to us and asking about our work and, and asking us to partner with them. Uh, so uh, Tyler is going to walk us through the history of the last few years and what's brought us to here. Um, Kenny and Beth and I are going to talk about the elements of the directive. And then uh, Tyler is going to again tackle some of the pieces of the directive and then we'll be open for some of your questions. I just want to acknowledge that though I say the Office of Equity started in June of 2019, a lot of champions in this organization have worked for equity for decades. And today I am honored to be sitting next to two of them who will be speaking about the work that they've done for years to get us to this point. So I'll turn it over to Tyler. Thank you so much, Mukta, and good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Tyler Emsky, and I am a strategic advisor in your commission office. Uh, this policy directive represents the culmination of nearly five years of work. I'd like to take a quick moment to thank each and every one of the commissioners for your leadership and input on this directive over the year plus that I personally have been working on it. Uh, Commission President Cho and Commissioner Mohammed in the Equity and Workforce Development Committee last year and Commissioners Hasegawa and Calkins on the committee this year have prioritized the development of this policy. I would also like to thank Commissioner Fellman uh, for his engagement on the directive and his valuable input given during multiple briefings and updates. I'm proud to work for an organization where leadership takes equity as seriously as all of you do. So here's a recap of that five years of work. Let's get the next slide, please. Uh, commission action started in 2018 with an order to implement an equity pilot program, which led to the creation of OEDI in 2019, and uh, initiated the development of this policy directive. Next, Commissioner Cho's motion in 2020 required racial equity trainings for all port employees and established the change teams, whose representatives you'll hear from in a minute. 
Then we uh, went ahead and drafted the directive with several cycles of equity and workforce development committee feedback and dialogue with executive staff. We also held multiple listening sessions with community stakeholders and port staff, engaging several hundred uh, participants. We were happy for this engagement as it was crucial for us to reach out proactively to community and staff to get their input on the future of equity at the port. Finally, uh, we made the last few edits to this directive uh, to respond to the feedback we received in those listening sessions. And uh, now we're here today. I'll go ahead and hand it over to Bukta, Kenneth, and Beth. Thank you. Next slide, please. All right, so just three significant elements of the policy directive is that structure, structurally, really, uh, the Office of Equity will be uh, play, is proposed to be in uh, central services, and as you've seen, I know that that visual image of cutting horizontally across lines of business and divisions in the organization, and that the Senior Director of Office of Equity is at this uh, executive leadership team and reports directly to the executive director. Um, these are really absolutely based on best practices that we've seen around the country for the offices of equity to not be marginalized and have voice and be at the table in for significant decisions and and uh, uh, and issues for the organization, um, and to establish a change team. Of course, you know that we have a change team in place that we put in place about three and a half years ago. But the the policy directive proposes that the change team are really significant ambassadors of this work by doing the budgeting and and equity work by uh, supporting the annual goal setting in every department so that every department does have equity goals and that we add them to a dashboard and they are actually shared and we hold all leaders accountable in the organization. And then operationally, uh, these goals are really a part of our business practices along with the executive director uh, priorities. And all departments use the equity and budgeting tool. Um, and that we, uh, I, I, I know you're aware that we are working on multiple HR policies to update um, so that we are really creating a cultural belonging for new people joining the organization as well as efforts like anti-racism training to continue to build an anti-racist um, organization. Um, and externally, uh, we have several elements um, in the directive, um, including uh, uh, Environmental Justice Advisory Board. Um, uh, I think you might remember that originally we proposed that there would be one advisory board, but with time we changed that, and it's now kind of an issue-specific and, and time-limited advisory board, starting with the important issue of environmental justice, hiring an environmental justice for the leader for the organization, and then the equity spending uh, segment of the policy directive that I know we briefed all of you about in the last week. Um, so for I just wanted to pause here for a moment and ask Beth Britz and Kenny Lyles to speak about their experience in operationalizing equity in the organization and being members of the change team. Kenny? Uh, Good afternoon, uh, President Cho and commissioners and executive director Metric. I was honored when asked to join Bukta uh, for this presentation as well as the team for the first reading 
of the Port of Seattle Equity Policy Directive. My appreciation is a result of over 30 years of service at the port, participating in and promoting the virtues of diversity and inclusion. In 1990, I served on the first ever at the Port of Seattle Ethnic Awareness Committee. And in 1993, I served on the first at the Port Strategic Diversity Committee. I am an original member of the Port of Seattle chapter of Blacks in Government and a former two-term president. I'm a former recipient of the Charles Blood Champion of Diversity Award in 2006, and I currently serve as a sponsor on the change team. As I mentioned, my involvement promoting diversity and inclusion at the port began in 1990, when as a member of the newly created Ethnic Awareness Committee was created. The goal of that committee was to educate, uplift, and celebrate the contributions of African, Asian, Hispanic, and Native employees. The goal was to create gateways for employees of color to, uh, for advancement at the Port of Seattle. Only Black History Month was recognized that year, unfortunately. <coughs> Excuse me. Thirteen years later, in 2003, I was asked to participate on a committee to create the Port of Seattle Strategic Diversity Plan. The focus of, of the team was to design goals and bring and bringing diversity to the port. A few of the goals of that plan consisted of promoting an environment that acknowledged and respected a diverse workplace, a workforce, a recruitment, hiring, promoting, and promoting diverse employees in leadership positions at the port, ensuring all employees achieve diversity goals, to identify and celebrate a champion of diversity at the port, uh, and those are just to name a few. From that plan, only the Champion of Diversity, uh, Charles Blood Champion of Diversity Award, uh, proved to be sustainable. The significance of the, of the um, directive today. As you can see, attempts at creating and achieving equity, diversity, and inclusion has not been sustainable at the Port of Seattle. Since the creation of the Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion four years ago, the Port has taken positive steps to establish and in an inclusive culture and embed in a sustainable way its commitment to the virtues of EDI. Under the leadership of Executive Director Metric, the Director, uh, Director Gassar, and the Director of Human Resources, Katie Girard, the port became the first public agency in the state to observe Juneteenth as a day of reflection uh, with a port holiday. The, Completion of the Port of Seattle uh, Police Use of Force Review, equity, diversity, and inclusion training for all supervisors and managers as, and employees, as Bukta mentioned, uh, pay equity for women of color, uh, convening the second cohort of the change team, and adopting port-wide uh, maritime, the maritime model of employee diverse hiring panels and uh, the town halls that uh, booked the chairs, um, where up to 200 employees participate electronically um, for the uh, presentations. OEDI has also launched performance goals for employees and partners with the now 13 employee resource groups. Recall that when we started this employee resource group um, program, there was only four. Now we have 13. So I have shared with um, Commissioner Hasegawa, I'm sure you remember, on a few occasions, 
uh, that the port is in a better place than it has been in my career. Uh, as it relates to equity, diversity, and inclusion, the work is the work that is underway affirms that the work that I have committed to over the years will be embedded and sustainable as part of the business culture here at the Port of Seattle. That is uh, my perspective on the state of affairs in this conversation in this space. So thank you for the opportunity to speak. And Beth? Thank you. Um, good afternoon, Commissioners and Executive Director of Metric. Uh, my name is Beth Britz, um, and my preferred pronouns are uh, she, her, they, them. Um, I echo the sentiments that uh, from Kenny and I'm humbled to have had a seat, have a seat here at the table uh, for this momentous occasion to be part of an actual policy codifying equity, equity into the Port of Seattle goals culture is an honor. So I've been at the port now seven, a little over 17 years. Um, I started at the port as a contractor, um, commercial electrician, and uh, then took a job at marine maintenance, uh, working in, in the maintenance shop there as an electrician, working under a collective bargaining agreement. Um, advanced my career through the port. I had a wonderful leader, which some of you had opportunity to work with, and Lindsay Pulsifer, who was uh, at the forefront alongside with Kenny on many of the issues that, that Kenny just mentioned, if not all of them. And uh, But she was a leader that uh, believed in opportunities and equity. And under her leadership, I had the opportunity to get development transitioned into a staff position. Um, eventually left marine maintenance and went, came to the aviation division and worked for aviation maintenance in a management role. Um, I now work for uh, PCS, Port Construction Services, so now part of Central Services. So I've worked my way around in three different uh, major departments here at the Port of Seattle. And in each one, I've been able to grow my myself and my career, um, and all because of opportunities that have been offered, but not without a lot of um, effort on my own part. And but because of the leadership that I had, um, I, I came, like I said, I came to work under the a CBA, a collective bargaining agreement, and had the good fortune to work for Lindsay. Um, because of the um, opportunities that she provided for me, I was able to participate, I think it was in the third cohort of the Ports Development and Diversity Council, which now we've expanded to include um, inclusivity. The In that leadership role, was able to actually affect uh, policies and have conversations at the executive level from a boots on the ground perspective. The, um, I've been able to participate in um, the, uh, I'm sorry, from that platform for inclusion, um, have been able to participate in other of what we used to call the affinity groups and now employee resource groups. The um, uh, uh, became one of the first cohorts of the CPI Lean Initiatives, Lean Specialist Program. Um, and uh, Portwide Pride, back when the day when we had three members marching in the parade, when our posters would get torn down out of the elevators and off the walls. and um, but we still weathered through and we got greater and greater participation and visibility. The, um, uh, I'm part of the trans-inclusive uh, network where we've looked at, um, the original focus was to look at all the port policies and go through them. And again, I was just a very small part of a, of a larger team that went through and looked through every port policy to try mm -hmm. to figure out what there were gender biases in those policies, to, to basically degender those policies. So there's been opportunities to um, participate there. The, uh, I was fortunate enough to be one of the original core change team members representing the aviation division, and now um, have moved into the, the next round uh, representing the central service di division with uh, port construction services on the change team. 
The, uh, I'm a previous uh, winner of the Women's Outstanding Achievement Award, which I, which is a very high honor for me. And, um, and I'm the driving force behind the All Gender Restrooms Initiative, which I've talked to several of you about. And uh, in that effort to try to move forward in a more of a universal design approach that would actually provide an equitable solution for many people and all, all users. The, um, when I first uh, joined the Port of Seattle, I made a conscious decision to come as my true authentic self. This is who I am, this is the way I look, this is how I present. Um, I've always been one to stand up, step up, and speak up. It's not always been easy, and I haven't always had people willing to listen. The, um, the culture and sentiment around change frightens people. The, there seems to be this notion that providing equity, we're gonna be taking things away from other people. But, you know, that, to coin a very well-used statement, you know, it's not pie. There are plenty of pieces to go around. We're not taking away. We're just bringing, bringing more equity, giving every, everybody opportunities. So now in my role at Port Construction Services, I have the opportunity to actually, uh, the pleasure to lead a group of construction workers, represent seven different collective bargaining units. These are a group of people that up until very recently and um, with the efforts that was very much supported with CPI process improvement and the Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion helped uh, Port Construction Service transition all of their um, temporary emergency hires, of which some have worked here for 22 years, into full employee, full regular employees at the Port of Seattle. They're, they've converted their contracts as regular employees. They're still working under the collective bargaining agreement, but in an effort to bring equity, they now, for the first time, get paid for holidays. Things that we just take for granted. President's Day was the first time that in my entire crew, per the, all that have the CBAs that align, got paid to not come to work. And that's a huge thing. And these, for a lot of people, we, like I said, we take it for granted, but these are huge steps in terms of bringing equity. The uh, bringing technology to the represented workers. Um, these are areas that, again, are bringing equity. Now that they are regular employees, they are able to take part in things like, I have a representative now that sits on the D&D Council. Um, we have three core change team members this year. Um, last year, when we were doing the subcommittee for represented workers in off-shift, as a subcommittee for the change team, I looked around the room and I went, there, are no, there is nobody here that is currently working under a collective bargaining agreement. So we went back to our respective groups and Marine Maintenance and Delmas brought forth workers. Um, Aviation Maintenance brought one worker. PCS brought forth three workers to be on the subcommittee. Those three workers now are part of the core change teamwork. So these are the things that we're able to do because of this. The, um, the over ha almost half of the Port of Seattle workforce is represented under un some kind of collective bargaining unit, working off shift, also working off shift. They don't have the opportunities to take part in some of the trainings and development that the normal nine to five day shift workers do. Through this and with the support of the, the budget support, we now have budget resources dedicated so that we can make opportunities. So we might have to increase staff to offset that budget, but to make opportunities so that we can allow our frontline workers to participate in an equitable way, participate in development, grow their careers, take the opportunities, and have a voice. That's very important. Again, it's almost half the Port of Seattle workforce. The, um, I want to make sure that this just isn't a box that we check. I mean, Kenny talked about the history and how one thing that was sustainable, the Charles Blood Award, which is a very honored award, this cannot be, this policy cannot be, we've checked a box and now we've done EDI. We have to embed it, we have to live it, we have to breathe it. It has to be how, how we communicate. It has to be the filter with which we look at every decision that we make. 
design decisions. Are we designing in a universal design so that it will provide equity for all users, all ableisms, all people in all walks of life? These are all things that we have to keep in mind in every decision we make in our hiring practices. Um, these are real life things that I'm living and breathing every day with my amazing group of workers that for the first time realize that they actually are part of the Port of Seattle. And we can't just say it, we have to show it and we have to do it. The, um, the, the coalition between EDI and CPI process improvement and how we are, this whole effort in bringing equity, diversity, inclusion to the port is a process improvement effort. And embedding those and working together with that is so essential. And I just thank you so much for considering this and um, allowing me a seat at the table. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Kenneth and Beth, for your decades of work on equity. Uh, we hope that this directive will make permanent paths for folks to follow in your footsteps, uh, you know, as part of change teams and in other initiatives to help you know, bring that change to the port going forward here. <clears throat> so, uh, as Beth was saying, two of our guiding principles uh, that we used in the development, uh, can I actually get next slide, please? Thank you. Okay, so two of the guiding principles we used in the development of this policy directive are continuous growth and accountability. Everything in this directive is intended to steadily and inexorably move the port towards a more equitable future with transparency and how we are doing so. This directive calls for port departments to set annual equity goals in alignment with their budget planning process. We did this in order to maximize each department's chance of success in achieving their goals. Uh, these annual goals and our progress towards achieving these goals will be reported to the commission every year and made publicly available. Progress towards setting and achieving equity goals will be considered as part of the performance reviews of port executive leadership. And finally, uh, the audit team will examine how well the port is meeting the requirements of this policy directive on a periodic basis. Next slide, please. This policy directive will also help move the port towards better engagement with our community by building on and expanding some of the most significant uh, community initiatives in the port's history, such as the South King County Community Impact Fund and the Duwamish Valley Port Community Action Team. This policy directive is a jumping off point for some significant bodies of new work, including a deep dive into the port's past equity-related spending and a proposal of a formalized structure for this spending in the future. This directive also calls for engagement with near port communities to develop a set of environmental justice principles. Next slide, please. So it was critical for us to use community feedback to guide the development of this directive. Uh, participants in the community listening sessions we conducted were appreciative of the fact that the port was proactively reaching out to them uh, to get their input regarding our equity policy. The number one area for improvement we heard uh, in these sessions was regarding our contracting processes with community-based organizations. Therefore, we added a reporting element to the equity policy directive that requires the port to engage with community-based organizations on an annual basis to determine continuous process improvement opportunities in our contracting with these CBOs. Uh, before we get to the final slide, I'd like to thank Bukta and some of the staff who are not up here today for their brilliant collaboration with the Commission Office in the drafting of this directive. In particular, I'd like to highlight the contributions of Jay Doran of OEDI and V. Wen, uh, now of the Commission Office, uh, to this directive. And finally, I'd like to thank Executive Director Metric and the members of the ELT for their attention to the development of this directive. 
is much stronger thanks to their input. Next slide, please. So, uh, thanks again, commissioners. This is the first reading in this directive. Uh, we will be back for a second reading on April 11th. Uh, we will be available between now and then to uh, receive your input. Uh, Bukta? Yeah, I um, thank you for all of your leadership. I um, think that none of this would be possible if it wasn't for the Commission's leading with equity and, and commitment to centering equity every day. And thank you, Executive Director Metric, for all of your support. Uh, I think we're now concluding our presentation and open for your questions and comments, please. Great. Thank you so much to Bukta, to, to Tyler, to Kenny. Um, and everyone else who's worked on this, I really appreciate the input that you provided. Are there any questions from commissioners? <laughs> I'll go first. All right, Commissioner Hazagawa. Wow. Um, it is such an honor to be here and witness this moment and to be a part of it. Um, I need to open by acknowledging that um, the legwork to create a culture of inclusion and an institution of fairness and opportunities began by so many of you while I was still in grade school. 17 years <laughs> is a tremendous career. Folks like Director Lyle, Delmas Whitaker, Rudy Caluza, Luis Navarro, so many people who have been championing this so that we could be here today. It's like a relay race and as the current member of the Equity Workforce Development Committee that gets to carry you know, a little bit through the very last leg of this race, I am so honored to be a part of your team. Director Gesar, your leadership has been phenomenal. And the work that you have done over the past many years leading the Office of Equity with your phenomenal team with input and collaboration from many people throughout the port, including the change team and members of the commission office, is monumental. Pay equity, inclusive facilities, using quantitative data to improve outcomes, creating a culture of inclusion, using the budget as a value statement and a transparency tool, and being a better steward by the public at large. This is an amazing next step that's built upon so much work led by my colleagues here. If I could take it one step further, and I know we have more to build upon, it would just um, to also make sure that we had a way to compensate community members that have to be included in this work for their lived experience and their time. Um, I am so proud and I am so grateful 
for this body of work. And I thank you very much for coming to share it with us today. In Japanese culture, we have a phrase. It means, I am who I am because of you. It's a recognition that we are all a part of something much greater than ourselves. And this is going to lift the bar for everyone. And that phrase is, okage samade. Thank you all. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you, Commissioner Hazagawa. Commissioner Mohammed. Thank you, President Cho and Commissioner Hasegal, for your words. That's very hard to follow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, first, I, I just, I, I also want to express my gratitude for the many port staff members who um, provided their feedback and contributed to this work, and also want to hold space to recognize um, that many of you have paved the way for us to be sitting here today in these seats and. Um, just lots of gratitude and appreciation there. Um, Mr. Kenny Lyles and Beth, thank you for presenting today. Director Gazar, thank you for presenting, as well as Tyler, uh, thank you for presenting, and Executive Director Metric for your support. Um, I've been, for the last year, work, been working very closely with Commissioner Cho on this directive that I almost sometimes forget when you're in the work, the impact and how people react to it, um, because you are thinking, how do you improve it? How do you make it better? That um, I haven't really had the opportunity to sit with it. And I think the way Commissioner Hasegawa described it was really powerful. And I was looking at Commissioner Cho as you were speaking. I'm like, wow, this is, this is huge. And... Um, and all the public comments that was provided today was very moving. I feel like there's a lot of progress we have made as a country, as a port, and I also a lot of the time sit with where we need to go. And um, you know, I, when I think about environmental issues um, as equity issues, I'm often thinking about how we're running out of time. And um, so as we do this work, while I want to celebrate and feel like we're making victory and, and moving forward, I definitely do feel like at times we are running out of time. And it is in initiatives like this that I think move us in the, the right sort of direction. Um, Commissioner Chell, thank you for uh, serving with me on that committee and for the groundwork that you've done and um, all the other commissioners that came before us who have supported uh, this initiative as, as well. Um, I just wanted to just take a, a minute to um, point out the uh, being able to measure our equity investments and how important that is. We measure the things that we value um, and it allows us to show a commitment to equity, but also it allows us to identify disparities, right? To identify where the gaps are um, and then decide where do we want to make impact. And I think Executive Director Metric has said um, often that we need to be thinking about what, what our investments are actually doing and what that impact looks like. And I think being able to make the investments first, then being able to say, okay, so we've made the investments now. What are the outcomes? Who are we impacting? And how do we measure that? And you know, those are the parts that I, I feel very closely to in this, um, in this policy directive. And I just want to give a huge shout out to our uh, finance team, Director Dan Thomas. Uh, they spent so much time in figuring out, developing an actual dashboard that defines our equity investments and what that looks like. Because, you know, there's, you know, there's 
we can throw so much money on, at so many issues, but if we're not really able to measure that stuff and assess it, um, it could just be that, throwing money at problems and thinking it's resolving it. I think um, some of the, the, the pieces in this equi uh, equity directive um, gets to the bottom of that, and I just um, want to express my gratitude around that. I did have a question that is not changing the policy directive. I, I did mention this early on to, um, or yesterday, to some of the, the commission um, staff members around our contracting pieces, the community. So when we did the listening sessions, um, we heard a lot from community members. And one of the things that I often hear over and over again from our grassroots uh, community organization is the struggle with being able to um, partner with the port and that there's like a lot of limitations and. Um, when they contract with the port, there is um, uh, just so many hurdles that they have to get over in order to contract with the port and that grassroots organizations are um, maybe from the procurement office are being seen similar to um, contracts that we do with construction and big businesses. And one of the things that I, I had said is, you know, is there something that we could put in this policy directive to help address some of that? And that wasn't clear. So I was wondering if um, if someone could speak to that today. Yeah, thank you, Commissioner. Uh, Executive Director Metric, did you want to comment on this, or do you want me to start? Sure, I can just start by saying uh, thank you, uh, uh, Commissioner Mohammed, for those, you know, for those thoughts and those, you know, talking about that. I think for us that is a focus. Um, you know, of course, for us, I, I, it begins with the difference between you know, for us, our role is a special purpose government, and then and then looking at well, how can we do this within that construct of of our of our standing as special purpose government? But I think I think the team has been working a lot on this. I think the team has been working on improving um, how to uh, right size this, if that's not the right word, but how to right size this according to that interaction. Um, and I'll be glad, Mukta. I didn't know if you want to add more to that, but I know we have been looking at this. Of making those improvements, and I know within our our um, central procurement office uh, has been looking at improving those as well. So, Bukta, I didn't know if you wanted to add anything, yes. but I know Sophia Mayo is on the line as well, I believe, to to talk about that. If we want to talk about those specifically, but Commissioner, or we can brief you separately on those, and uh, you know, seeking and do those improvements, and continue looking for other ways um, that we can make that easier to engage with those uh, CBOs. Yeah, I would just add uh, that, uh, ex as you said, Commissioner, during the listening sessions, we heard from a number of nonprofits about the challenges that they've had in their contracting, procurement, invoicing with the port, and how very complicated that process is, and that the uh, amount of work for contracting for a gigantic business for or a small nonprofit is about the same, and they would really like to see some improvement in that process uh, in in that work. And I know that the CPO team, uh, I think, are online, and and I would like them to speak about this. But a lot of improvement has been made uh, to, to in in the process of South King County Fund for the organizations that have applied. And I know that the team is committed to further improvements. But Sophia, would you like to talk about some specific measures that your office is planning to take? Hi, good afternoon, commissioners. I'm Sophia Medio. Um, 
Senior Manager of the Central Procurement Office. I also would like to see if Carol Hazard is on the line in case if she um, is able to speak since she is actually one of our um, uh, she helps contribute to and lead the force in this. Um, as Steve mentioned, you know, we have had um, improvements. We have heard from our community uh, CDOs, and we understand that um, in the comment that was made that some of our processes are very much related to sort of construction and design. And we have made um, several improvements up to there. It's not to say that there's not more that we're looking at after each cycle that we have, either for the environmental grants or for economic recovery. We um, make improvements and we look to see where else we can further make um, other changes, meaningful changes, um, not just, you know, checking out certain boxes. Um, but with that, um, uh, Steve, should, should we go into some of those details or should we reserve that for later? Because I would need Carol to speak for that. Yeah, I don't know. Commissioners, would you like to hear some of those improvements? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not in the room, so I can't see, make eye contact with you to see if that's... Uh... I mean... Oh, sorry. Yeah, commissioners, would you like to hear that now, or we can we can talk more about that? We can. I can respond to that. Um, we can hold, and I, I, you know, I think it's um, maybe it's a deeper conversation that we need to have around this. Um, I know, like organizations like the Asian Council on Referring Services (ACRS) um, in particular had a big grant with the Port of Seattle and has really struggled. I've, I've talked to uh the executive director there michael around these issues and so if there are improvements being made and um, we're making procedural changes i just would want that to be communicated to organizations like that and um when this comes when the policy directive comes back to us if there is specific language around some of those changes that we can embed in this directive i'd like to see that as well so commissioner i thought i'd just really quickly uh describe the way that the policy directive is currently addressing this issue. And basically, you know, uh, we became aware of, of the, you know, the efforts by CPO to make these improvements. The policy directive is uh, basically calls for us to double check on this and to check in on this going forward with the CBOs. So going out every year, doing a listening session, how are we doing? How can we improve? And bringing that up to the commission level every year. So, you know, uh, basically, double-checking our work and, and if you know, we got these improvements in place but just identifying this going forward all out into the future far out into the future uh, of, of making sure we're, we're still making those improvements thank you for sharing that intent and I appreciate the time that concludes my questions great anyone else Commissioner Calkins so um, having participated uh, both um, on the equity and work workforce development committee this year and in previous iterations of the drafts and in initially working with Bukta as she came on board as the director. Uh, I think the reason why I'm so supportive of this particular policy directive is because of how long it took to get to where we are. That part of why I think it's, um, to borrow Lance's phrase from earlier, it, it's, uh, it may not be the perfect policy, but I think it's the best one around. And so, um, which means that we still have room for improvement. There's, you know, we're going to work this thing for a while once it passes, and we're going to learn where we need to tweak it. But I, I think we avoided two of the serious pitfalls that come in this kind of work. And one is that we put out something that was essentially virtue signaling. It was, you know, we're going to be the most equitable organization. And then we don't put any meat behind it. It's, it's really just waving the flag, and then there's, there's nothing that actually um, internally changes in our organization. The other is that we um, 
fail to do an outcomes-based uh, approach. And, and we put a huge burden on staff and external partners, and we do all sorts of flashy, showy things in terms of equity, but they don't actually result in outcomes that benefit those who historically have been underserved. And I think uh, the folks, the real architects behind this and all of the legacy work that was done to get here demonstrates that we're very serious about this. Now, we also get some criticism from outside that, oh, this is, why are you guys wasting so much organizational resources or, you know, taxpayer dollars as a public agency on this kind of work? And I would say uh, that we can, we can make a strong case uh, for, um, and I'll borrow Commissioner Feldman's term here, enlightened self-interest here, that we are really attempting to achieve not just the equity goal in our century agenda goals, but also the uh, executing on the goal of, of being an effective public agency. And a big part of that is to create an organization where everyone who engages with us, staff, outside contractors, passengers coming through the airport, has the kind of experience that means that they want to stay. And that means that we get to attract the very best talent, regardless of skin color or, or ableism or personal history with trauma or whatever it might be, so that we are drawing from the largest pool of applicants we possibly can and saying we want talent from everywhere. And then the, the benefit of that, not only having the most talented, but then also having a diverse set of perspectives within our employee base and contractor base and everything else, is that we can see around corners better than anyone else. Because we aren't just one small demographic group trying to understand our diverse community from our limited perspective, but instead that we have within our organization, baked into who we are, the kind of diverse representation that is our community. And I think that makes us more effective as a public agency. And so, you know, in, in a sense of enlightened self-interest, we want to do this too. So I'm strongly supporting this. Thank you, Commissioner Calkins. Commissioner Fallman. I would like to also express my appreciation for all the work that went into this and the history that was being retold and thank you so much for allowing us to recognize that this didn't happen overnight and the sustained effort is what makes it happen. But I also really appreciate the, the need to feel like it's durable, that you can leave and you know it lasts beyond you. And I find it in everything that I try to do, I mean, it's like everything is hard. But you want to make sure that it lasts, you know. So, like, if it's going to get it done, let's just really get it done. So, I really appreciate hearing your your stories to make that uh, remind us of that. I um I think ultimately the most important assessment of how we're doing is the pride with which you articulate this, and and that we hear throughout the organization. This is something that people want to tell that story, and if if that's not the case, then it's not real. So um. It really is important to feel that. And uh, so thank you for taking the time to let us know it's working, right? And so that to me is the, um, that, that, that means we're on the right track. Now, um, I, I, I also appreciate the, in the importance of retelling history that, you know, I, I, I look at this, this, uh, this current motion and we have the signatures of all the commissioners that are going to participate and and, but we, I went back and looked at uh, the, uh, I think the first order was, what was it, 2018-06? And um, I, I don't see any signatures on the, on the signature page. But that was, a, what, two commissions ago or something like that? There was, and, and so I, I think we're here because 
people like you got us here, but that, that we're, we, the organization has a momentum that we keep on building on. And, um, and so I think, you know, the trajectory is good. We're never going to get there. But I think it's also important to recognize our, our history has been a long-term commitment. So thank you for reminding us. Thank you, Commissioner Fellman. Now I get the last word. Um, you know, uh, I th I, first of all, I apologize. When I thank the staff for the presentation, I uh, accidentally omitted Beth. So Beth, I thank you as well for um, being here today. You know, I, I, I so much appreciate uh, the historical context that was provided here today. Uh, and uh, Commissioner Calkins is right. This has been a long time coming. Uh, you know, if, if depending on your perspective, it is overdue in terms of how, when, when this has been presented to us. But, you know, I think it's, you know, I'll speak for myself, I actually have no problems with that. Because uh, not only was this a labor of love for many of us, but also because I tend to think that there's a direct correlation between how long something takes as, and how long it sticks around as well. If you do something quickly and fast, uh, it tends to also drop off quickly and fast. And the fact that it took so long is not, uh, is not an indication that we slow rolled this or, or we're lazy about it. What it tells me is that we were very thorough. Right, we had listening sessions. We had the engagement of community external uh, stakeholders. We had the input of commissioners as well as ELT. Uh, and so, you know, this has been, like I said, a true labor of love. I do want to thank everyone who has contributed to this. Uh, in particular, I want to thank the ELT uh, and all those who have committed uh, committed to providing the feedback, but also are okay with some of the things that are in here. And I, I want to acknowledge that, you know. Having performance goals and setting metrics uh, of the LT when you know on e o e uh, EDI can make people a little uncomfortable. And I know when we first proposed it, uh, we got a little pushback, right? And and we're like, wait, does this mean the commission is going to start reviewing us on EDI stuff? Like, how does this play into our perform annual performance reviews and whatnot? Um, but uh, you know, the fact that we've come to this point now in where the language is not just performative, it's not virtual signaling, but there's true accountability in this. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's ultimately what I think will get us to a point of being an organization that truly promotes equity, diversity, inclusion, right? It's the accountability piece, right? It's the buy-in from executive leaders. And, uh, and so uh, that's why it took so long. Uh, I'm glad it took this long. I'm glad we, we're here uh, where, where it is. And uh, today is just the first reading, and we will be considering this at our next commission meeting for full passage. Uh, but uh, And who knows what will happen between now and the next passage. There could be some tweaks, improvements based on the presentation. Uh, and so we will uh, take those in stride and make sure that we come up with the best product between now and the next, next meeting. But again, Thank you so much to, to Bukta, to Tyler, my specialist, who's been working so hard uh, on this and in the equity committee, to Kenny, to Beth, and all those who are uh, you know, intimately involved uh, in this. I hope you all are proud of the product that, we're, that is before us uh, and the product that we will ultimately end up passing. So with that, uh, if there are no further questions from, uh, of staff, um, is there a motion and a second to introduce resolution 3812? So moved. Second. All right. The motion has been made and seconded. Clerk Hart, please call the roll for the vote. Commissioners, please say aye or nay when your name is called. Thank you. We'll begin with Commissioner Cho. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Calkins. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Fellerman. Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Hasegawa. 
Aye. Thank you. Commissioner Mohammed. Aye. Thank you. Five ayes, zero nays for this item. Excellent. The motion passes. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you all. Great. We are now uh, moving on to the last item of the agenda, item 11, presentations and staff reports. Clerk Hart, please read the next item into the record. Executive Director will then introduce the item. I, before you do that, though, I just want to make a quick announcement. We have some colleagues who need to exit the meeting due to some family and child care matters, so I just want the public to understand that uh, we have uh, two commissioners who may need to leave in the middle of this presentation. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, this is agenda item 11A, the SEA Stakeholder Advisory Roundtable. This is START 2022 Annual Report. And um, I will note that if we, for some reason, lose a third, then we'll be under quorum. So. Commissioners, I'm pleased to present to you the annual report on the SEA Stakeholder Advisory Roundtable, or START. Okay. START continues to play an essential role to enhance cooperation between the port, the Highline Forum member, Cities of SeaTac, Burien, Des Moines, Normandy Park, Tukwila, and Federal Way. Alaska Airlines and Delta Airlines also serve on start, and the Federal Aviation Administration provides agency experience, expertise, and experience. Over the last year, START has been fully focused on implementing tangible solutions that address aircraft noise and emissions issues. Today's presentation will cover some of the accomplishments in 2022 and offer some community perspectives. The presenters are Today include uh, Lance Little, Managing Director of Aviation, Jeff Harbaugh, Stark Community Representative, Eric Schinfeld, Senior Senior Manager, Federal and International Government Relations, Marco Milanese, Senior Program Manager, Community Engagement, Brian, and Brian Scott, Stark Facilitator. So um, with that, I'll turn it over to Lance, I believe. Uh, thank you, Executive Director Metric. Good afternoon again, um, Commissioners, and thank you for having me here today to present the 2022 Annual um, a start report. As, as Steve said, start um, is the stakeholder advisory, advisory um, roundtable. Um, Eric Schinfeld, Marco Milanese, Jeff Harbaugh, and Brian will join me today. Eric, Marco, and Brian are here to assist with any um, questions that you may have at the end. Uh, next slide, please. So I'll begin um, the presentation with a quick refresher on START, its origins, purpose, and structure. I um, then will offer some highlights from the efforts, programs, and initiatives <coughs> that the Aviation Noise Working Group and the Federal Policy Working Group were engaged in 2022 and also in 2023. After my remarks, Jeff Harbaugh will um, share his perspective as one of Burian's community representatives serving on START. So I want to thank Jeff for taking the time to be with us um, today. Next slide. So how did this all begin? Um, back in 2016 when I started, one of the things that was very noticeable, we had many community members that would come to uh, the commission meeting and they would um, voice their concerns, complaints about noise and emissions taking place in, the, um, in and around uh, the airport. However, there wasn't anything that was being done and it was just like a repetitive cycle. So we got together at the port and we're like, how can we actually address this issue? How can we come up with practical solutions to address the community complaints? Ironically, at the same time, we got a call from one of the um, city managers and within the same time frame, we got a call from the FAA which says, hey, we really need to put a group together to address this. 
And that was the genesis. That's how START um, actually began. Next slide, please. So um, working in really close coordination with the leadership from the Highline Forum, uh, member cities of SeaTac, Burien, Des Moines, Norman De Park, Tequila, and Federal Way, and other um, representational entities, the Port of Seattle and his partners developed START to enhance cooperation between the port and the six cities. START provides um, the Port of Seattle with a dedicated forum intended specifically for discussing and tackling um, airport and aviation industry impacts on the neighboring Highline Forum member cities. With the um, port, the FAA, uh, the primary air carriers, and the airport's neighboring cities all represented around the table, START brings together all the relevant um, parties with a common purpose um, to share information, collaborate, and achieve results. One of the challenges we had in the past was that we never had all the key stakeholders at the table at the same time. So it would be a meeting between the port and the FAA, the port and the city, the FAA and the city, but we never had the, the entire um, stakeholders together. And that's one of the significant difference with START because we have all the key stakeholders at the table. So um, why are they highlighted for member um, cities of SeaTac, um, Buren, Des Moines, Norman De Park, Tequila, and Federal Way a part of START while other cities are not. We've been asked that questions on um, several occasions. So it is true that numerous cities throughout the Puget Sound experience overflight. However, the six Highline um, Forum member cities that encircle um, SCA experience impact on multiple fronts. In addition to um, aircraft overflight, they experience impact on, uh, sorry, to their cities from the noise and emission generated by airfield operation, from the traffic congestion, noise and emission generated by vehicular traffic uh, coming to and from the airport, and from the noise and emission generated by um, arriving and departing aircraft that are at their lowest altitudes over the city. <clears throat> so these cities also have the biggest opportunity to benefit from the airport's operations, such as um, economic development, workforce development, tourism promotion, the South King County Impact Fund, and some of the airport's other environmental initiatives. And so um, START is purposely um, designated, or sorry, designed to um, address these impacts and potential benefits that are uniquely experienced by the six Highline Forum uh, member cities. Next slide, please. So each city, just a quick overview of how we're structured. Each city designates three members um, to START uh, who are joined by representatives from Alaska Airlines, Delta Airlines, and port staff. The FAA, or the Federal Aviation Administrator, Administration, provides agency expertise. As the airport managing director, I serve as the chair, and I dedicate um, the necessary staff, consultant support, and technical expertise to assist in the work. Meetings, um, which are every other month, are facilitated by Brian Scott, which was introduced earlier. Brian is with BDS Urban Planning and Design. START also created two working groups. Our thought was, because of the, the time frame between the meetings, we really need to get um, more work done in between meetings. So we created the um, noise working group and the policy working group that meet on a frequent basis. And I'll speak a little bit more about that. The noise working group were created back in 2018 and the policy working group in 2019. Next slide, please. So um, at start meeting, the full meeting that we have every other um, month, we have, we have had the pleasure of hearing from several outside speakers, um, each, of, each of which has helped expand um, or shared understanding of several 
um, aviation topics. In 2022, we heard from Congresswoman Jaya Paul, who provided an update on aviation-related legislation under consideration. We heard from Chris Riles with the Airline Pilots Association, who spoke about fuel jettisoning. That's dumping fuel. The community had concerns over that, so we had a presentation on that. We had Eric Serganish with the um, Puget Sound Clear Air Agency on regional air quality efforts. We also had David Fleckenstein with WashDOT on the um, process to recommend the next commercial airport location in the Puget Sound. I had a lot of interest in that as well. And we had um, Carl Sim with Washington State University, Dr. Jim Halliman with the FAA, and representatives from Delta and Alaska um, on what's next for sustainable aviation fuel. We also had um, a lot of our um, staff members present as well. And in 2023, it really started off strong with Don Scada, the head of the FAA Noise uh, Division, joining us on February 22nd from Washington, D.C. And I'm sure we'll continue to have um, success bringing uh, many more exceptional speakers to start in 2023. Uh, in 2022, they start Aviation Noise Working Group with a mission to prioritize and explore potential near-term actions to reduce and prevent aviation noise continue to focus on efforts on its aviation near-term noise action agenda. This includes reviewing and refining work associated with several of the agency's initiatives and exploring uh, new potential initiatives to include within the agenda. In the interest of time, I'll focus solely on the 2022 efforts and not the achievements um, from the past, which I've spoken about previously. Next slide, please. So first, the ground noise study, which um, studied airfield noise, ground noise sources, and identified potential mitigation measures was completed in mid-2022. The ground noise study was the direct result of a request from the working group members that we address the noise sources that are particularly felt and heard in the neighborhoods west and east of the airport. The study included several um, recommendations that have been um, been explored since the study's completion or will be in the following month. Uh, reverse thrust, a method used to um, decelerate aircraft was identified as a source of noise in the ground noise study and um, represents the working group's second major achievement in 2022. With the assistance of Alaska, Delta, and the FAA, the airport's voluntary language, discouraging the use of reverse thrust beyond what is necessary was strengthened and is now a 24-7 ask of the air carriers as opposed to only a ask during the late night hours as previously. Um, rolling takeoff, the third uh, nearly complete achievement was also identified in the ground noise study as resulting in less noise experienced by the surrounding community. Rolling takeoffs are typically quieter with traditional, with, sorry, than traditional um, takeoffs which require the aircraft to come to a complete stop before powering up. Voluntary SEA language encouraging rolling takeoff is currently in development and we hope to have it finalized um, very soon. And I have a news flash here that um, we plan to move away from referring to the operation as rolling takeoff. A new, more descriptive term is being developed, Marco, as we speak, so we won't use rolling takeoffs anymore. Sorry. Next slide, please. Um, in 2023, expect um, the Noise Working Group to continue to prioritize and explore potential near-term actions to reduce and prevent aviation noise. 
and as always, based on member and staff input, expect additional topics and efforts um, connected to aviation noise to be added to the meeting agendas uh, throughout the year. Uh, next slide. <coughs> so the we're supposed to be at federal. The next slide. Thanks. Next. in the federal policy one, I think, one slide forward. Thank you. So the, the STARTS Federal Policy Working Group is focused on changing um, federal policies and regulations that can give the FAA, the port, and the communities more tools, resources, flexibility um, to address um, aircraft, noise, and emission. Commissioners, the, the airport is extremely regulated, and um, there is this so much that we can do and there, there's a lot of things that we can do. So the noise working group that I spoke about earlier really focused on the short-term things that we can get done more or less like low-hanging fruit. The federal um, policy working group really look at the long-term changing legislation, etc., the longer-term things that we can get done. So over the last few years, <clears throat> we have um, focused on doing so through implementation of a shared port slash city federal policy priorities agenda. Um, as far as we know, SCA is the only, um, one of the only airports in the country that has collaborated with its surrounding jurisdiction on a shared federal um, advocacy agenda. And so what makes this joint effort particularly powerful is that it allows us to bring focus, focus asked of our congressional delegation, which makes it easier for our um, federal elected officials to prioritize their engagement on these issues. Next slide. So at the end of last year, <clears throat> the port and uh, the airport cities sent a joint letter to the Washington congressional delegation highlighting seven key um, airport noise and emission policy priorities for proposed inclusion in the 2023 FAA Reauthorization Act. Uh, we believe that the FAA Reauthorization Act represents the best near-term opportunity to um, pass these priority into, priorities into law uh, particularly because of how well positioned our congressional delegation is in terms of crafting the legislation. As you can see on the screen, uh, those seven priorities fall into three main categories. One, reducing the impact of overflight noise on um, near airport communities. Two, reducing aircraft emissions. And three, addressing regional air capacity needs by ensuring FAA support. Next slide. So one of the exciting ways that we are going to um, work towards the goal of including these policies in the 2023 FAA reauthorization is through the Joint Port Cities DC flying at the end of April. And I'm pleased to share that the response to this opportunity has been significant. In addition to uh, Commissioner Mohammed and myself, we have right now nine city council members and two state representatives signed up to join us plus additional port staff. So we're really looking forward to that. So I believe that this um, show of solidarity and commitment um, will go a long way to encourage our congressional delegation to prioritize our proposed noise and emission policies. And I'm looking forward to reporting back to you after this flying. Next slide, please. So I want to thank um, everyone who played a role on START uh, in 2022 and made what I just summarized possible. I would like to particularly call out the community 
and city representatives who represented their cities and their fellow residents' interests and start. They serve and start because of their deep commitment to public service and because they genuinely want to tackle the issues facing um, their cities. So today we are fortunate to have um, one of Start's community representative with us to share his perspective. So let me welcome Jeff Harbaugh from Burien to say a few words. Jeff. Thank you, Lance, for the introduction. Um, I'm a five-year resident of Burien. I finished my second term on the airport committee, or I'm about to, and I'm, I'm in my first start term. My professional training is in finance and international business. I've lived in a couple of countries, learned another language, worked in international banking, corporate development, and done a bunch of turnaround work. The First Amendment gives the American people the right to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Even in Lincoln's time, you could walk in and see the president. He was kind of busy. And that ended sometime around then. When the FAA implemented the Burien turn, the, first, the uh, city of Burien tried to petition the government by talking to the FAA. They didn't have time for that, and the only way the city of Burien could get their attention was by suing them. The city won, so that's a good thing, right? Um, things should change, but nothing changed. We didn't sue because of the Burien turn. We sued because of the way they had implemented it, violating, we thought, the uh, NEPA regulations. Um, but nothing changed, and it was over, and our only choice was to sue them again. I wonder what might have happened if representatives of the FAA and the city of Burien had sat down in a room somewhere and talked about the process by which the change had occurred. Maybe nothing. But I'm pretty sure that conversations are better than lawsuits. And even when there's no agreement to have, and maybe a lot of time, money, and effort could have been saved. Burien is not a rich city. It didn't have the, the money to sue, and it certainly didn't have the money to sue again, which was its only choice. The START Committee is a place where those kinds of conversations happen, where citizens in a small way can try and petition their government. We don't always agree, and the problem doesn't always get solved, but at least the conversation gives us a basis for some common knowledge. And we know what we agree on and what we don't agree on. I know the airport and the associated noise and pollution isn't going away and it's likely to grow. And just to be clear, none of us want to get rid of the airport. We know it's important. Um, I know that port's influence is the, on the FAA is limited. And uh, I'm pretty sure as much traffic as the airspace can contain is going to be con uh, encouraged. I don't know what that limit is, but it worries me. Um, there are a lot of generally disadvantaged people who live too close to or right under the flight paths. They're negative Im impacted by the noise and the particle pollutions in terms of both health and lifestyle. The impacts are getting war worse. We don't need any more studies. We know what's going on. I don't know what the limit is. Um, those people as a mem as are my focus as a member of START. I want to do what we can to help them, and that's why I'm on the START committee. Uh, a new airport may help, but that's decades away. Um, sustainable aviation fuel may help, but that's a long-term progress uh, process as well. We have some improvements from the elimination of older aircraft and some technical improvements, but that's not under any of our control, and again, it's a long-term thing. So we try and work around the edges. 
over the next couple of years, the sound insulation program is going to reach everybody it can reach and who is willing to be reached. But there's no provision to address the people whose insulation has failed. Though, as you've seen in the start annual report and additional materials, there are attempts being made to address that. But it requires legislation and FAA action. And the calculation of who is eligible based on the 65 decibel limit misses people who should be eligible. If you want to do something interesting, go to the port's website and spend a little time on the discussion of how they calculate noise, what the measures of noise are, how they're related, and how they use them. And if you don't walk away from that, confused, dismayed, and a little worried, then you don't understand the situation. Um, Director Little's report outlines all the other ways we're nibbling around the edges. Those initiatives are worthwhile, and we're making some gradual progress. But none of it is going to change the fundamental situation. One of the things that, that happened is last meeting, the meeting before, I don't know which one, we were looking at the uh, exceedances of noise levels as we try and keep the, the, the space quieter at night while people are sleeping. And, and I saw that basically two airlines and a couple of planes are causing all the noise, or most of it. So we had a place to focus. That's the kind of thing we can try and do. Now, the port can't make those airlines change, but they can at least talk to them. We sit and we talk and we develop an understanding of capabilities, possibilities, and perspectives. We don't always agree. I get frustrated, annoyed, and sometimes unhappy. And I think most of the members know when that is. But we keep talking and listening, and occasionally a good idea comes out of that. The, the port is a bureaucracy with its own stakeholders and agenda. And that's just a fact. It's not a criticism. If I, from time to time, can ask a question that's a little uncomfortable or can make them think in a way they didn't think before, great. Um, that's how we develop this common knowledge, and it's a good thing. Uh, so an important role for the community representatives is to raise uncomfortable issues and provide a different perspective and, and not have to be cautious in any way about what we say or how we say it. If we're going to be able to petition the government as we used to, that's what has to happen. I learn the most from talking to people I disagree with, and I, I think we need more organizations like START. Thank you for your attention. If I can answer any questions, I'd be happy to. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for being candid. Thank you for sure. the feedback. We really yeah, appreciate it. Yes. Um, Commissioner and um, Executive Director Metric, thank you for the opportunity to share our thoughts and um, what we have done today. We are available for any questions that you may have. Great. Thank you so much, Lance and Jeff, uh, for that presentation. I'll open up comments and questions for commissioners at this time. Any questions or comments? Commissioner uh, Mohammed. First, thank you, Director Little, for um, leading the presentation and um, for all the work that you've done and your team has done to establish START. As a South King County resident, um, this group is really important to me from a personal standpoint and from a professional standpoint as a commissioner. Um, and I am looking forward to joining the START members in the D.C. trip to advocate on behalf of South King County residents and joining other elected officials to help elevate uh, the concerns that we share. Um, that said, I, you know, I have a couple of questions um, 
One, I, I remember, Director Little, we heard from um, members who are not part of the six cities, who are part of the START committee, um, who raised some concerns around the platform that START is using as far as moving away from uh, Zoom to a different web conference platform. Did that change? I'll have Mark, Marco address that. Marco Milanese, is the Community Engagement Manager at SeaTac Airport, SCA, and I can address that. And maybe uh, Brian Scott, who is our start facilitator, can assist as well, too. Uh, we did do a format change using Zoom on the, uh, at those start meetings. We went from a kind of a regular, uh, kind of uh, fully kind of everyone's engaged type a Zoom meeting format to a, um, and Brian will remind me of the name, I think it's called a, uh, uh, Brian, do you remember the name of the actual format? Zoom web, web webinar format. So it's a webinar format. So uh, the start members are, are the ones who you see uh, on the screen. Uh, anyone else uh, who wants to and be in the audience can listen in and uh, follow what's going on at the start meetings. But uh, who you see on the screen and who's able to talk are the actual members of START themselves. And then at the end of the meeting, we do open it up to a public comment. And then we do allow anyone who wants to provide any, um, anything verbally, uh, their screen is turned on and they can provide that comment at that meeting. Um, and Brian, anything else to add to that format process? Well, before Brian missed that, there was one particular meeting that we had a technical issue where it did not work the way it was supposed to work. Well, we have subsequently addressed that. Brian, sorry, go ahead. The format we use uh, Zoom as opposed to Microsoft Teams, but the effect for the presenter is very much like the meeting I'm in right now with all of you, is I can see um, the presenter and I can see uh, Mr. Metric and I could see the slides, but I can't see the port commissioners um, and I can't see everybody else at the meeting. Um, so it's very much like this format. Um, the format we had before, which was just a plain old Zoom meeting, had everybody that were both start members and any members of the public were basically in the same place on the screen. And there isn't a, there isn't a way to organize the folks that are the formal part of the meeting to the top of the screen or anything. So as the facilitator, it was very difficult to figure out who the start members were. Um, so we made it more like the public meetings that most of the city city councils uh, in the start uh, service area use and as the port uses. I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're saying. You can't see us right now? You don't know who the participants are? Brian? I can see a list. I can see a list. Okay, so you see the participants. On my screen, I have it in, I see a list of who's there. I'm in gallery view. And right now on my screen, I can see Mr. Little sitting in the audience, and I can see Mr. Metric, and I can see a bunch of little that's, circles. Yeah, well, that's just the top because of the screen with initials. In I want to make sure the public is very clear about <laughs> and not conflate uh, how our public meetings are right now and how you're running start. You, what you're seeing right now on the screen is because you haven't pinned someone so that you can see them. You can see the participants of this meeting right now, and, you, and the biggest difference is that you're talking to us right now. Mm -hmm. So I, I, it's not the same, first of all, and I don't think that's an accurate comparison. I want to make sure that's clear for the record. That's, that's right, because if everyone in, um, who's participating chose to turn their cameras on, 
we would get a whole bunch of other people who also would be visible. That's, that's correct. I think Mr. believe that's the distinction is that he's a presenter right now. Yes. That's right. Well, it, anyways, that that is um, helpful information is to hear where that has ended. Um, that makes me um, wonder. So after the start meeting is over, you then open it up for other people who might be in the room to provide public comment, which I imagine at that point their cameras turned on and you can see who's talking to you. So when they provide those public comments, um, is there an opportunity to respond or is it just similar to the commission meeting where you note the public comment and you know you go on with the agenda? We've modeled that after the commission meeting. So uh, they uh, have the ability uh, to turn their camera on, provide public comment, and then that is captured in the meeting notes. Okay, that's helpful to know. Um, the, the other question that I had is, do you guys see a distinction between the complaints or concerns that individuals around this, the region is submitting to the Port of Seattle um, and what you're hearing from start committee members? Are they somewhat aligned? Do, are there any comparisons that, that are done there? Margaret, I mean, so some of them are the same, like overflight noise. But when the complaints from the neighboring community, there's um, some unique um, complaints and concerns. For example, ground noise. That, and that's why we did the ground noise study that I just um, spoke about, because the neighboring community experienced that. If you're further away from the airport, you're not going to experience that. Traffic, um, as an example, you know, parking issues with even before when we just started the TNCs and you know other there's a various other issues that's really unique to the neighboring communities that communities far away would not um, experience so the answer to your question is yes and just if, let me just go back to the question first in terms of the format and how the meetings are conducted the port doesn't make that decision by themselves we have a steering committee which consists of the six cities that determine how our meetings are formatted so the steering committee makes that decision so the steering committee was the one that decided to go t towards WebEx and not Zoom? So, yeah, we had that discussion as part of the steering committee, and, and we decided that's the, pr that's the, the format that we're going to be using. So. That, that's we, we, are we are using Zoom. We're just using the Zoom webinar format, mm -hmm. which limits who can speak. Even the agendas, et cetera, all of those things, the, we, we have the discussion that the steering committee decides. We don't decide anymore by and, ourselves. And, and we went with Zoom because the public's more familiar with Zoom, and so it seemed like an easier type format that people can use on their computers. Okay. I thought I heard WebEx earlier, but it's helpful to know that you guys are using Zoom, the, um, the webinar sort of version of that. Um, so earlier... It was mentioned that two airlines um, seem to be responsible for the majority of the, the noise that um, that community members are hearing or start members um, seem to be elevating. I wanted to know, so when that complaint comes in or you guys make that connection and are saying it's, it's about two airlines, what's the protocol that's in place for then port staff to reach out to those airlines? Where does it end? If I can clarify that, that was only referring to nighttime noise between, I think, midnight and 5 a.m., so not noise in a general way in the airport. Thanks for that clarification, but even in that case, what happens? What's the protocol when that nighttime noise, there's airlines identified, how do we then reach out to those airlines while we don't have 
um, direct control over, over what they're doing, but what's the protocol? Yes, we have uh, start developed what's called the late night noise limitation program. So we do track all flights at the late night hours between 12 and 5, um, as Jeff mentioned. And uh, we prov provide those results on a quarterly basis. And so typically there's two carriers that have the most noise complaints, well, not noise, the most noise exceedances during those hours. So we have noise monitoring that's done and it captures the noise levels and we've set some thresholds. And so typically two carriers uh, are the number one and number two when it comes to noise. So we report out those results on a quarterly basis to start uh, on our website and, and uh, that's externally facing. And then we do set up meetings on a regular basis with some of these carriers that are having uh, regular uh, high levels of exceedances each quarter. We meet with them, we talk about their late night noise exceedances, run through the numbers with them, and um, we talk and, and suggest possible schedule changes or, or changes to aircraft. Again, it's a voluntary program, so it's a discussion at that level, and we've had um, one, one big success so far, uh, EVA Airlines, uh, which was a, uh, EVA Air, sorry, uh, which flew uh, typically at the late night hours, was one of our top uh, carries when it came to late night noise exceedances. And uh, based on the discussions that we had with them, they made a choice in upgauge to a much more modern, quieter aircraft. So we're hoping other carriers uh, follow that pattern and uh, take that advice. And, and when they bring new aircraft into their fleet, that they think about SEA. Just tell the Commissioner about the discussion we're having with the other carriers as well. We're hoping to get similar results, but we can't mandate that they fly a certain type of airplane or fly a certain time. We just can't do that, so we try to influence as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And we're hoping to have additional success like we had with EVA. Kudos to EVA Air. They didn't have to do it. They've done it, and we've seen significant difference in the noise with the, with the newer airplanes that they have. And we're hoping the other airlines, as Marcus says, will follow suit. Is that information public to people, the airlines that are? Um... Yes, all those results are uh, on the, uh, the port's website when you go to the noise programs on a quarterly basis. So you can see that even airlines and the airlines that are... And I think it even breaks it down by individual flights as well, too. So what, what kind of aircraft uh, and at what time of night. So it, it's all available. Great, that's helpful. The last question that I have is just around um, the makeup of the START committee members. Um, mm -hmm. If someone ends up being uh, deciding to get off START or um, they choose to depart, um, is, there, is there sort of a form that they fill out? Do we um, do it uh, an exit sort of discussion with them? Great advice. I, we, we don't do an exit interview with, with members, but it's something that we should talk about at the steering committee level. And Commissioner, just to clarify, when you say someone, someone representing like a city or the city itself wants to? Someone representing the city, oh, okay. city, city actually is, is what I was in, okay. implying. Yeah. We don't typically, we have never done an exit interview as far as I know. The cities appoint the representatives. So I'm not sure if they do an exit interview with a representative when their term is, is up. And the reason why I ask that question is because I've, I've heard from individuals who have served on START, who've shared their concerns, and um, you know they, they share those concerns with me maybe at a grocery store or somewhere along those lines. And I think it would be helpful to um, be able to check in and hear from them directly, and if there was a a process for them to share any maybe grievances that they may have had. Um, if they were unstart, 
they're usually not shy, so we typically know exactly what, they, as you saw from Jeff. So you might know what I'm talking about. Yeah, we typically know exactly how they feel. They don't, they don't typically hide it from us. So. Well, that concludes my question. Thank you, and I'm looking forward to joining the CERT members um, on that D.C. trip and hope to elevate uh, our joint concerns. Thank Great. you. Commissioner Feldman. Well, thank you for sharing your insights and for your ongoing commitment to this community process. I think this Zoom thing might have been like one of the great improvements to the system because I know one of the complaints I've heard most of the community was the opaqueness of what was going on with START. So this is like the first time folks can even watch. Is that true? Uh, no, start's been open uh, to the public uh, from day one. Uh, even when we were actually in person, uh, we always uh, advertised the week out, and, and anyone who wanted to come could come and sit and listen, and always had the ability to provide public comment as well, too. It was Mark, just the, he might be referring, some people might be referring to the working groups, the, the, the noise working group and the policy working group, which is not an open true. working group. So that may be that where was, you're getting thank the Thank you for that from. clarification. Right, so we had our colleagues from Vashon Island were con continuing concerned about be not being able to bring their expertise to this specific working group. But the fact that the overall deliberations were open, I, I mean, that's really kind of one of the upsides of COVID has been it's the ability to, for people to monitor whether or not they're physically there or not. Um, so, but thank you for that clarification. You know, one of the things I just noticed about this report and in contrast to what you presented is the lack of data. You know, here's an annual summary report. We know, what is it, Air China and FedEx are the other two folks that fly air cargo at night. It's like, gee, the China Air or Air China, I never get that right. But, um, and, and the fact that the EVA Air, I mean, you, you have these data. I mean, you should be proud of the fact that you, you've done this accomplishment. And, and one of the things we talked about back in the day was like, you know, FedEx is what, in Tennessee? I mean, we were talking about going to Tennessee and meeting with the execs instead of, you know, talking to some local reps. Or um, I know the same thing we did with BNSF. I mean, we're trying to do bike paths in T91, but until we, because we deal with this at, at, uh, at the Seaport Alliance, we find the, the boss at BNSF and all of a sudden something changes. So I, I just think when you have the data, and getting it to the right people is part of it. And then the, I, I have to compliment you so much about aligning your five cities and, and the port all being on the same piece of paper, no less going to D.C. together. It's a tremendous accomplishment. And uh, while there's only so much you can do with the FAA, perhaps, having Congress helping with that is a, is a huge thing. And I think, quite frankly, that's one of the great accomplishments of START, is having those, finding those places of, of commonality. But when you do... Um, Identify something like, you know, reverse thrust. Um, you know, are there metrics in terms of getting like what does voluntary compliance look like? What are, how would you monitor that? What what is the metric? Do you monitor it? Are we making progress? I mean, I'm glad to see this paragraph, but there's no there's no way to know how we're doing. Yes, there's some of the programs we, we do have metrics uh, attached to them. So the late night noise limitation program is a good example. But but others like reverse thrust are really tricky. And um, 
we haven't figured out a great way um, to to really track progress on that. And so we've kind of taken a different approach with them. And so we see success coming through the awareness campaign tied to that work. So uh, once we, uh, some other language we're working on right now uh, and uh, connected to rolling takeoff, so we're gonna change the name. And once we have that language done with, with the uh, language attached to reverse thrust, I think what will be key is going to the airlines and really talking about the language that we have in place and just trying to build awareness and an appreciation that, that uh, the hope that something can change here. And so uh, we're gonna start with a campaign and see how that goes. And, and then maybe in the future we can look at um, more creative ways to potentially uh, monitor uh, whether these th they're being ab abided by or well, not. Well, Marco, could you talk about then maybe the runway use, because that's voluntary, but that's very measurable. Runway yeah, use, so, please. So yeah, there are a number of initiatives I mentioned that are measurable, so the runway use plan, where we, uh, we track how runways are used during the late night hours. We do, we can track that, and we go to the FAA, and we report on those results, and ask if there's changes and discrepancies. And the late night noise limitation program, same thing. On a quarterly basis, we know uh, who's flying at, uh, who's creating higher levels of noise the late night hours. So there are some initiatives where you can track and we continue to repack, uh, track and report out at start meetings on the results, but others are, are kind of in a, a different category. Well, I mean, as a commissioner who wants to be able to help further the results and you provide us a very glossy, pretty picture book, but you're not sharing the data that you're collecting, you know, and so this to me is you're, for those metrics you have, mm -hmm. this is your chance to bring them forward. Well, and as Markham pointed out, we put that, we actually have that information displayed on our website and we update it every quarter. So we, um, I, I understand, but then I'm supposed to, or I'm or the community is supposed to go and do tabulations on the website. Anyway, I just thought that this was what an annual report would entail. That's all. I would ask in future annual reports, you provide data summaries and not just paragraphs. Thanks for that feedback. That would well, be that would be I think make it much more valuable and also give us tools to help you with to further to further your goals. I, I thanks I, for that feedback. Yeah, I, so I and now I know that this FAA is doing this annoyance study. I hear myself talking. It's getting late. Annoyance study. Um, so the uh, those are data, right? And and didn't they just extend the um, the comment period on that and do we have an idea because I think that's a database that we might be able to make use of we, and the public can still participate I guess that's one of the reasons I'm bringing it up isn't that the case now that study was completed already it was uh, they, they did extend the comment period I think for oh. accepting public oh, input on but uh, Eric Shinfield's on as well too oh, he, might, he might he oh. might uh, know a little bit more about that yeah, so I saw that uh, in in a note that went to commission, but no, it was extended last year, uh, yeah. but it has been closed for about it, a year and a half. It's done a long time ago. Oh, that's really good. I like the memos. That was a Friday memo. All right, I thought I was being clever. It finally, um, you know, we clearly have limited impact on the FAA, but when it comes to, um, although the politics is a good thing, the... Um, we do have more control over land use. And, um, and I'm wondering, given that one of the ways to mitigate some of these noises, if we can't stop them, are with buffers. And so tree planting can mitigate noise and pollution. This is something that um, you know, communities would have great say about where might be the good places for things like this. Would, if, there, if there were start members that would like to have 
land use as being a, a subject for start? Would that be within the within the ballpark, or is it really plain operations only? So we typically um, suggest items to go on the agenda for whether it's a working group or policy group, and then the um, the steering committee, which consists of the six cities, decide if that's um, a topic that they want to have further study on. So we can put that as a suggestion in our next meeting and see what they say. So it wouldn't be it. like categorically excluded. It would be if, <coughs> if the steering committee was interested, it would be something you could entertain. Yeah, whatever the steering group decides that we should prioritize, that's what we end up prioritizing and focusing on. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Great. I have, I have just two questions here, and I hate to beat a dead horse, but I want to go back to this webinar format thing. And the reason is because clearly we've been contacted as commissioners about this. And I need to understand why the steering committee made a decision to change the format of the meeting. I could jump in and, and um, Brian, you could certainly uh, provide some additional comments. So uh, as, as Brian mentioned earlier, it was uh, difficult as a fac uh, facilitator of a meeting to manage uh, when you had so many heads on the screen and so many kind of people in an equal position. So. We wanted to create a system that really elevated the start membership on the screen and then had an audience uh, that was actually watching it. And so we uh, uh, got some advice that the webinar format would be a more appropriate way to, to manage a meeting, and we, we gave it a try. There were some, some hiccups with it, and so we went back, explored it, but we did talk with the steering committee, and they confirmed that it was a more appropriate way to run a, a start meeting, and as Lance mentioned, we do, uh, we don't, the port doesn't make unilateral decisions about anything that START does, and so we always take it back to our steering committee, which has representation from the six cities to make any decisions. Also, if we could add to that, the chat was also a part of it, because everybody who was on the call could be in the chat, not just the START members. And mm -hmm. prior to us going online, the way the meeting was set up, the START committee members would be at a table, all the participants would be in the audience. Mm -hmm. so they wouldn't be able to speak or answer questions or participate in the chat. Once we went online, that really changed. Everybody was a part of the group. Everybody could chat, et cetera. And as, as Marco said, we took this back to the steering committee, and the steering committee said this is what they wanted. This okay. is what they wanted. Brian, if you want to add anything to that. No, I think you hit the main points. Uh, I'll just reiterate that um, using the simplest Zoom format, you're either in the meeting or you're not in the meeting, and there isn't a way to give some people a different kind of status than others. So, and, and you can't even pin, there's, there's like 25, 30 members of START, and we were getting 30 or 40 members of the public, and I couldn't figure out a way to get the START members to be on the primary screen you know, and and it, just, it was just very hard to manage. And there's this chat stream going like mad. And then you get start members sometimes unpredictably responding to things, people like and, and people choosing. It, it was very hard to manage. And start members were um, kind of tuning out. Uh, so we we made a modification in which all the START members and the key port staff and the facilitators could be in what was basically a, what would appear to all of you as a regular Zoom meeting. 
and then members of the public could watch that. And the biggest difference was that we could only see the audience members' names in a list, and we could not see their faces on their cameras. Um, that was that is essentially the change. Uh, and as far as I understand it, a community member, any member of the public, can see all the start members um, if they have a screen that is big enough to show all of those faces. Um, so uh, it seemed to me that it was a more functional meeting without limiting the intended public input. Okay. Yeah. I just, you know, I, again, we, we've been contacted about this and the reason I'm trying to bring it home is because the public wanted an explanation. So I appreciate the explanation. Yes. yes. There are, there are, you're right, Commissioner. There are a number of folks who are very unhappy with this. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I'm just trying to get to the bottom of the, the public question here. And then lastly, I'll just uh, ask, uh, and, and I apologize if you've already covered this, who determines members of START and how does the membership become what it is? The uh, steering committee would determine the membership of START. Like oh. uh, all instances uh, related to how START is managed, it is determined by the steering committee. And is there a process by which a neighboring city who has an interest in being a START can apply formally to uh, be a member? I don't believe there's a formal process, but uh, membership, if you look at our bylaws, uh, membership is reserved for the steering committee. And so they, will, they would have a discussion as a steering committee about any changes to membership. Okay. And have, have, since the inception of START, have, has the, the steering committee made determinations on whether or not they would like to include more or not include more? We have had numerous discussions with okay. the steering committee on that. Okay. Oh yeah, Commissioner Mohammed, please. Just piggybacking off of what Commissioner Cho said, you know, I um, specifically for Vashon Island folks who have raised significant concerns, I am wondering, is there a solution um, to make their concerns for start like this model that you guys have built where FAA is answering questions, the port is answering questions in partnership with the community. Is there any way to come up with some sort of solution that allows space for folks who live on Vashon Island, for instance, to ask these questions and for there to be a space? I don't know if that's like something that happens on a quarterly basis or if they submit questions during the start committee meetings, is there a way to, um, submit answers to the questions that they've asked. I, I understand that individually people can submit questions to the port all the time. They could FOIA us. They could do all sorts of things. But if they are an organized collective who have some shared concerns and they're elevating those concerns, what is, a, what is an actual pathway for them to engage with us and especially engage around this model that they're, the start model that they feel like is the appropriate place to help address their concerns? Is that uh, they, and we have had discussions with um, Vashon Island. The challenges that Vashon Island is experiencing right now and the questions that they have, the port cannot provide the answers to those questions. It's, it's the FAA that has to provide the answers. So we, um, we, we met with Vashon Island recently. We, uh, um, we had invited the FAA 
to participate in that meeting. Unfortunately, they were not able to participate in the meeting. We went ahead and we had the meeting with Bastion Island anyway, but there's a certain question that we, the port, we just can't, we just don't have the answers to those questions. That's really helpful. So see, the, the, the FAA shows up to the start meetings, right? So if the FAA is showing up to the start meetings, is that the time where it doesn't have to be during start, maybe it's after start, maybe it's every six months or quarterly or whatever makes sense to be able to give Vashon Island residents an opportunity to directly hear from the FAA? Because it sounds like when it's happening on a just a random calendar day, the FAA is not showing up. Well, it wasn't a random calendar day. We, <laughs> we set several days. We tried for a while to get that meeting. Um, Marco tried for weeks and weeks, months and months, but the FAA was just not able to participate in, in any of the dates that we were able to, to, to get. So we'll continue trying. I have the opportunity to witness this firsthand. I'm living on Vash Island and have been for a few months because we're having some remodeling done. And, and I th I've been going over there for a long time. We have friends there. And I think there's a little more noise. But um, when you, you watch the FAA at the start meetings, they don't have much to say unless they're a featured presenter. And I'm, maybe I'm a little too suspicious, but I think if we said, well, what are you going to do about the noise on Vashon, that we wouldn't get much of an answer. And I, I you know, Burian tried that, and you saw what they had to do to get any kind of attention, and nothing changed anyway. Um, it is, I don't understand the FAA's motivations and way they work, but they are a little obtuse in terms of getting to them and talking to them. I would love to be able to have more conversations or any conversations with them, but it, it really doesn't happen very much. I appreciate those, those thoughts and comments. So then the thing I, I will say, D Director Little, and this might be something for my colleagues to consider as well, is that I'd like to see the commission write a letter to the FAA asking that they meet with the Vashon community. And that concludes my thoughts and comments. Oh, I, um, <laughs> I, I did want to, to mention, though, that uh, yes, the FAA is not a regular contributor at meetings, but behind the scenes, they've really been of help with us in terms of working on some of that language I've talked about when it comes to reverse thrust, when it comes to rolling takeoffs that we're going to rename it. Uh, we have gotten uh, great input from them and involvement to put language in place that we think would make a difference in terms of reducing noise in the surrounding communities. And I to add some balance to what Marcus said, the, one of the biggest success that we have had is actually the um, third runway, late night use, and that's all due to the FAA. So. We have, we have had some, some great successes with them as well. Absolutely, and I don't take away any credit from them and the work, the good work that they've done, and they should also consider meeting with the Vashon Island residents who have consistently elevated concerns to us, and an opportunity for them to hear directly from them is important as well, and don't take any credit away from the good work that they've done and the partnership that we have with them and how they partner with the aviation team. Great. I'd like I'd like to observe observe that I'd like to applaud the Vashon folks for their consistent turning up at the start meetings and making very clear what their frustrations are 
and I'm sure Jeff will uh, attest to this, there's nobody on start, including the FAA, that isn't clear that the Vashon folks aren't happy about airplane noise, you know, on Vashon Island. And they've been, they've been very clear about it, very consistent. And the FAA has been in the room when that was happening. Yeah, Commissioner Feldman. You know, the, the difference between the Bashan Islanders, though, is they're not just complaining. They are documenting. They are, they are the most computative group of complainers we've got. And so uh, I'm glad the FAA is in the room. But, you know, my experience is in the maritime realm. The, the Coast Guard is, attends a lot of meetings in an ex officio capacity. You know, they are not here to participate. I mean, the fact that you have the FAA in the room big accomplishment. Thank you for that. And you had them make a presentation. So it's not a trivial undertaking. The, the, the issue here is like offline. It's, you don't want them to be pontificating in public, but just to hear each other out is really, I think, what, what's, and if we could facilitate that, I, I maybe putting it in writing may not be the way to do it, but I mean, those guys bring to, to the data to the table their, their, their uh, concerns are not unfounded. You now have a good comparison directly. <laughs> living so far afield now and still you're hearing the impact. So I, I guess um, it's, a, it's a unique situation in dealing with a federal regulatory agency who is somebody we work with all the time. So I empathize with that and to the point that Vashon is consistent and quantitative, they deserve a little bit more attention. Yeah, I agree with those sentiments. And let me just, you know, also make sure that it's clear that the existence of START is a net positive, and the work that you've outlined here is tremendous. I don't want to take away from that, and want to make sure that the members of START, as well as our staff, and including you, Brian, uh, you all are doing great work that didn't previously exist, and. Uh, we're making progress, but as this old saying goes, beyond mountains there are mountains and there's always ways to improve. And so we just want to make sure as commissioners that there are constituency groups out there who feel like they're not being heard as, as much and uh, even though they hear more <laughs> in their neighborhoods. And so we're just trying to uh, shed light and make sure you all know what we're hearing uh, from the communities as commissioners. So I appreciate you taking the time to to answer our questions and provide clarity and and how meetings are being conducted, why they're being conducted that way, and hopefully those, I'm sure there are some Vashon Island people listening right now, and, and they have a better understanding of why we, you all switched to the webinar mode, mode to make sure that those meetings uh, are run more smoothly. So thank you so much, I appreciate it, and th uh, great work on all this stuff, thank you. All right, hearing no further, uh, I think that concludes our meeting agenda, business meeting agenda for the day. Are there any closing comments at this time or motions relating to community referrals from commissioners? Yeah, Commissioner Mohammed. Just a quick closing comment. Um, I just want to express my um, uh, sincere wishes to those who are observing Ramadan, Passover, Lent, Easter, and um, hope that this is a great time of reflection and gratitude. A lot of people think that um, when it's Lent or Ramadan that you're just you're fasting and you're disciplining your body and, and trying to not eat, but it's really a, a, an, an opportunity to um, feed your soul and to be grounded in gratitude and forgiveness in 
and peace and, and hope. And so I um, just want to say to those who are um, observing celebrations and uh, Ramadan, Passover, and uh, Easter and Lent, that um, may this be a beautiful time for you and your family. Great. Thank you so much, Commissioner Mohammed. Anything else? Commissioner Fowler. Well, I have nothing nearly that poetic, but um, I, I guess in speaking to, you know, our critics, um, on the maritime side, we, we definitely, the only folks that speak as consistently as the aviation folks or the cruise ship folks, and to their credit, it reminds me of me and when I was on the outside. So I want to acknowledge being heard, but, and I also want to acknowledge that we're probably never going to make all our constituents happy, but there are opportunities for public engagement that I want to make sure people know about. On the 5th of April, there is the cruise MOU meeting that Department of Ecology hosts. On the 6th, we're doing the webinar on a green corridor. And, um, and to the fact that you know, people think that we're expanding cruise, obviously this commission did not expand cruise onto 46. So you know, we're never going to make people happy, but we're not ignoring them. And it's not like we're you know, uh, oblivious to the issues. And then finally, my enthusiasm for knocking down that, <laughs> that building over at um, at Fisherman's Terminal, the Gateway Building, it would be a great place for a propeller. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much. Thank you, Commissioner Fellman. Um, in, in closing, I want to give one last shout out to Lance Little and the aviation team. Congratulations on back-to-back, -back, two years in a row, best airport in North America. Extremely proud of you and everyone that made that possible. I think I'm feeling a three-peat here, so let's make it happen. Um, Executive Director Metric, any closing comments for us today? Executive Metric had the lead. Oh, okay. Uh, there's no good. additional comments, Excellent. no new business that I know. Great. Of. Hearing no further comments and having no further business, if there's no if there's no objection, we are adjourned at four o'clock on the dot. Thank you, everybody.